You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you. You may have noticed uh, from my voice that I am a little under the weather right now. I got a bit of a sore throat, got a bit of a cough, but I did want to talk to you before we started the episode because I realize that things are continuing to fall behind as far as podcast releases. Discovery Season 2 has already been out for a while before I've released this one, so I am going to do everything that I can to devote myself to releasing our episodes that are in the backlog, catching up here, and failing that, looking for anyone who would be uh, willing to help on the editing side so that we can get uh, these episodes out, because I still think that these are some great discussions, and I would love to share them with you. But that's all that I have for right now, so let's join the episode already in progress. Let's introduce our cast for this week. So, first up is someone you should recognize from our last episode. She will be my co-host through all of these, and that is my friend Stephanie. How are you doing, Stephanie? Hello! I'm doing okay. How about yourself? Everyone else good? (laughs) Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you, Stephanie. Although we were just having some technical difficulties, weren't we? I think that's the usual trend. Somebody in these always has at least a little bit of technical difficulties. Yep, but it's kind of funny when we're talking about Star Trek, where they have all the, you know, super high-tech data pads that never seem to have any trouble connecting and, you know, doing what they <laughs> need to do. And here we are just trying to hear each other. <laughs> yeah, I-, I wish I knew why Skype wasn't lo- acknowledging my headphones, but whatever. Yeah. At least there's no feedback. We had the feedback last time, and it wasn't my fault last time. Right, yes. Feedback. That was, yes, that was on Jay's end, and, and yeah, <laughs> before we have Jay back, we're going to make sure we solve that issue. Yeah, so if anyone listening to this knows why the Skype won't accept Stephanie's headset, just email us at everything at 42cast.com. So, maybe we'll get some technical help. Maybe. They're Bluetooth <laughs> earphones, if that makes any difference, but everything else works for them. As soon as I accept the Skype call... All my sound is gone, and Skype is coming through my speakers. <laughs> Maybe you should turn your speakers off. Then I probably just won't hear anything. Because I sometimes have that issue where, like, if I open Skype but have everything off except for the head, the the, uh, the microphone, then it recognizes the microphone. I don't know. Now's yeah. not the time to play with this. Right. No, 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 no. no. Don't play with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what's been going on for you since the last time you were on? Well, that was only a couple of weeks ago, so actually not much is going on. Oh, well, I have been, I briefly mentioned this to you, I've been writing a novel. I am about half a chapter away from my first ever novel being completely written. (laughs) Yay! So, uh, are you shopping it around, publishing companies? 
Not yet. Okay. First, I need to actually get it written, then read it all the way through, and, sure. uh, <laughs> then do some proofreading and editing, and yeah. But the core story for it is actually like half a chapter away from being done. I've actually already written the last chapter. That's what I did today. I was like, screw this other chapter. I'm hopping to the last chapter. And so now I just have a couple of pages awkwardly at the end that I need to fill in. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you've done more than I've ever done. Because while I've written quite a few short stories, I have never written a novel. So my hat's off to you, Stephanie. And I (laughs) (laughs) I hope it does well. Well, it's one of a series, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Have you, uh, have you, have you actually, I mean, I was kind of flippant before about shopping it around, but have you looked into, you know, all the options as far as like self-publishing or, you know, different publishers that you could shop it to and stuff like that? Not yet. I've just toyed with the idea, but I haven't actually started looking at all yet. I've been more focused on getting it written. Sure. All right. Well, cool. So does it have a title? No, that would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> It's always the worst, isn't it? I don't have a title for the book, and I don't have a title for the series, but all 24 chapters have titles. Okay. <laughs> all right, so um, I was going to just say the, you know, have you say the title on here so that people would know that if they're hearing this, you know, to look out for it, but just look for By Stephanie Kulak, I guess. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> right. Maybe one of these future ones I'll actually have a title to give you. <laughs> right. All right. Well, it is great to have you back, Stephanie. Thank you. You're welcome. Nice to be back. And another person you'll recognize from our last episode is the master of the Cineplex. He is the guy that tells you about all the movies coming to you, your local theater, and that is my buddy Michael Faulkner. How are you doing, Michael? Hello, or should I say Vulcan hello? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm doing quite well. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, So uh, how about uh, for you? Was uh, anything interesting happening since the last time you were on? Well, since the last time I was here, I have completed the uh, the run of the Sixth Doctor on uh, the Timestamps project. I just fi- finished the uh, the Trial of the Time Lord, and uh, within a couple of weeks, I'm ready to move on to the Seventh Doctor and and say goodbye to this era of Doctor Who because I have not enjoyed this right. at all. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta push that arrow all the way through, and then just <laughs> get it to break off. You know, it, it it's had its moments. It's had its its. You know, especially with the the backstory of the you know behind the scenes kind of stuff. It it seems like it could have been so great, especially if you got another year. But there are just so many so many pitfalls that were in there. You know, especially with the companions and how those were how they were treated. And I'm just like, you know, I'm ready. Let's just <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, perhaps it was a it wasn't the best idea to change the format of the show. Try to make the Doctor a little more questionable. And at the same time, put that regeneration at the end of the previous season so that everybody could stew over how unlikable he was in that first story. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe just not to tune back in next time. It was it was it was a confluence of situations. It was kinda like, yeah, too much. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I get you. I get you. It's 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 the roughest point in who for me too. Yeah, I was. It's, it's just coming up with the uh, the summary that I do for each of the seasons and for the, each of the doctors, and uh, that's coming out this week. And one of the things I mentioned in there was if I had been watching this, you know, me going back to the '80s and watching this real time, I would have rage quit at least three, four, who knows, five times in there. <laughs> well, everybody did. That's why it was on hiatus for a year and a half. <laughs> that that is what happened. Right. 
But yeah, no, I've, uh, I'm still enjoying the timestamps and uh, I'm really looking forward to your thoughts on the McCoy era because that's one that's very polarizing. Either people really love it or they really hate it. Right. Well, I'll tell you right now, I've, I've, I've watched the, the first one with him in it. And the regeneration episodes are usually, you know, very rocky, which is one of the reasons why in the timestamps project, I give, you know, ish, uh, episodes that have regenerations and them a plus one handicap. Because I know that, you know, it's, it's everyone trying to get settled into their roles and everything else. It was actually refreshing when I'm watching this. I'm taking some notes and I realize I'm grinning ear to ear when, when Sylvester McCoy is doing his thing. And he's not even fully baked yet as the doctor. And I'm like, this is so refreshing. So I, I think I think I'm going to enjoy this era a little bit more. Good, I, I, I'm glad. But I will say this one thing: season 24 is completely different from 25 and 26. It, it's that they 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 found the direction they wanted to go in season 25. So uh, it, it it's I, I just throw that out there. Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, great to have you back, Michael. Oh, appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. And next up is the first of our two new people joining us for our journey through Star Trek. First up, he is the guy that loves video games. He always has a drink in hand, and that is my buddy, James Rowe. How are you doing, James? Doing good. What are we drinking today? Uh, I am drinking two gingers Irish, whis- Irish whiskey. Oh, man. Mm. I already sound like I'm drunk, and I haven't even had a whole glass yet. <laughs> I didn't know we could drink while we were doing these things. <laughs> That's kind of James' thing. He's Whether on the rocks. I can or can't, I just do. Right. <laughs> well, James, the next one we're both on, I'll have a cocktail with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, James' whole shtick is that he is uh, the Roman on the rocks. <laughs> I am, I am. So uh, how does that fall on the on the peat meter? This is this. So as an Irish whiskey, it's not really peaty at mm. all. It just burns. <laughs> so, that's how you know it's a good irish whiskey all right but yeah no this is actually something i got for my birthday for my father-in-law it's fantastic it's not overly burny it actually has a little bit of a sweet aftertaste to it i've had it before but it was like a little trial bottle or whatever because i was like oh yeah i'll, I'll, I'll spend two dollars on that and try it rather than buy a whole bottle so yeah it's an it's a welcome addition to my collection cool and uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show. I can't even remember when the last time was. So uh, what's been going on for you in the last few months? Not a lot. Uh, well, ish a lot. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit of job shift. I moved back to working at a bank that I actually got started in when I first got into banking. So I, I'm back at Wells Fargo and I'm loving it. They've changed a lot of things about their policies, so I'm not trying to like sell people on bank products all the time. It's more like, hey, did you know you can do this on your online banking? And they're like, I didn't. And I'm like, do you want to talk to a banker? And they're like, no. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> have a great day. So uh, it's fantastic. But with that, it's affording me uh, more money, hopefully a little more time management because uh, I have a little bit more use out of my week because occasionally like if i work a saturday i have a day off during the week which is kind of nice because i have no distractions while my wife's at work uh so i can hopefully start sitting down right more figure out what's going on with skype now that <laughs> it's apparently updated right. it doesn't work with my recording software and get back on to, uh, oh, no. doing some podcasts skype really is the downfall of of all podcast recording isn't it yeah (laughs) i I wanted to try to come up with something that was not just straight to the point but i really i couldn't i couldn't (laughs) 
Yeah, I, we somebody really ought to come up with a program that's just for podcasters. Like, hey, you just want to chat with people and record. It's easy to download, so if the people you're talking to don't have it, you know, they can just download it really quick. It installs, and then you just all just chat, and it records automatically. That You would think it wouldn't be that hard, but apparently it is, because nobody's doing it's it. it's something built into Discord, considering the fact Discord is used for, like, streaming all the time. All right. I mean, this is how you said it. All of you people out there listening, if you're some sort of tech genius when it comes to apps, you need to create something that works really well with Discord or is just a great standalone product. Because we're all in if you can come up with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, Zuckerberg, Musk, they all listen to the, to the show. So, you know, they'll, they'll get right on that. Hey, maybe the new Zuckerberg or Musk does. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's true. You never know. You never know. But, uh, all right. So, uh, anything else, James? I don't think so. Okay. No. Well, you caught me right in the middle of a drink. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great having you on the show. Yeah, anytime. All right. And finally, it is the man you love to hate. The man that is obsessed with Pluto. <laughs> that is Ryan Guthrie. How are you doing, Ryan? I am not drinking alcohol, but I am eating Girl Scout cookies, so I'm doing pretty good. Okay. So, what is your... Girl Scout cookie of choice. Uh, Thin Mints. Thank you very much. No, okay. Yeah, like you and 99.9% of the rest of the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like the peanut butter ones, too. I can't think of what they're called right now. But yeah, uh, uh, frankly, it, you can't see me because obviously this is audio, but a body like mine doesn't just happen. I have to work at it, <laughs> and the Thin Mints come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> now, question about the Thin Mints. Do you do them room temperature or frozen? Uh, yeah, room temperature. Oh. I've I've heard rumors about frozen, but I don't know. <laughs> like, they never last long enough. You know? <laughs> Try sticking them in the freezer. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, see, I'm the one person in the universe that doesn't like Thin Mint. Is there something else you're wrong about? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I should have realized that was coming. But I, I do like the peanut butter ones. I like the shortbread. My wife just got uh, some s'more ones that are okay. I want to try those s'more ones. We have some ordered, but I'm not getting them until Easter, so. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Mint. It's not really, like, my favorite thing. It's not minty. I mean, like, I don't like mint ice cream or any other type of mint except Thin Mints. I don't know. Okay. It's chocolate, too, you know? Right. Well, that's true. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't like mint chocolate chip, so, you know. There's chocolate in that. But, (laughs) so, uh, what's been going on for you, Ryan? Well, I've spent the weekend, um, I guess you'd say, smartifying our house. I got a Google Home and some smart light bulbs and a thermostat, and now I can just sit on my butt eating Thin Mints and tell my house what to do, so that, that's pretty good. You, know? you have no one but yourself to blame when the machines take over and your house murders you. Hey, that's you know, the American dream right, right. there. <laughs> well, the way I figure it, and, and yeah, I, my friend was like, oh my god, have you not seen Black Mirror? And yeah, you know, <laughs> Fine, yeah, all that's probably likely to happen. And sure, it's all... Yes, Google can now learn how better to target me to sell me stuff I was already wanting to buy anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's always the thing that gets me about people who are like, there are these algorithms, and they track, you know, what you like, and then they, like, try to sell it to you, and I'm like, I'm not sure I see the problem with this scenario, because I'm gonna (laughs) buy that stuff anyway, so saving me a few clicks by having it pop right up is not really that bad. (laughs) 
what I always hate is when you buy the thing and then you start getting advertisements for it. It's like, no, right. I already bought the thing. Right. I already have that. Yeah, that's true. That, that is annoying. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty cool. That it's it's but very well in keeping with uh, the Star Trek theme. It is, except my wife. You can decide between a male or female voice, and you can set it, you know, to recognize your voice. So for like the first day until she discovered she could set a male voice to respond to her. It was great. But now there's this other guy who keeps talking. <laughs> it's not as fun anymore. <laughs> you can do that with Siri too. Yeah. <laughs> My Siri is British because, you know, why am British. I not surprised? <laughs> she talks to me with a British accent. It's kind of hot, but anyway, <laughs> See what's what's becoming dangerous is there is somebody recently went into the code for the Google Home and they found out that at least for the phone they're going to make it so you can name your like your Google assistant and I was like oh man I'm going to probably name her something terrible because every time I ask her to find things for me she tells me she doesn't have results and it's not going to be good. I'll just be like hey dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, I, yeah, I would probably just go with 3PO or something like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, that fits. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, anything else uh, been going on for you, Ryan? I leveled up to 39 in Pokemon Go, so there's that. <laughs> That's a happy day for me, you know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's the exciting life I lead, Nathan, you know. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you really know where else That's, to go from yeah, there's there. There's nowhere else to go from there at all. So. Level 40. <laughs> I, I hear it's all downhill after you hit level 40. Yeah, there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> You're going to have a mid-Pokemon life crisis pretty right. soon. <laughs> My Pikachu, his fur starts falling out. He probably buys like a sports car or something. <laughs> Well, it's good to have you back on, Red. Good to be back. All right. So, as everyone should know by now, our next segment is the five-minute controversy. Five-minute controversies, for those of you listening at home, it's what replaced five questions after Jennifer Hartshorn cursed the podcast so that they always took longer and longer with every episode. So I said, <laughs> no more five-minute five, <laughs> five questions. We're just going to do one single question that everyone can weigh in on and just sort of uh, hash it out and uh, hopefully get done fairly quickly. But the intention is still the same, just kind of loosen up a little bit before we dive into the topic. So this time, what I wanted to talk about was something that uh, was announced, I don't know, probably three months ago, with Quentin Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie. And fandom's been pretty divided about... You know the idea of this and since this was a star trek episode i thought hey let's talk about this so michael why don't you start us off do you think that this is a good move do you think that this is a bad move what do you think about quentin tarantino doing a star trek film about that yeah no i'm uh i'm actually kind of on the fence about it i mean i i like the idea of shaking things up a little bit kind of like, you know leading into the discovery to- topic you know it's it's something that might help Trek kind of break the doldrums a little bit that came with the, the late 90s, early 2000s. But at the same time, I, I can count probably on one or, you know, 
one or two fingers the name number of tarantino projects i've actually enjoyed watching so it, it depends on how much control he's got on it how much you know how much uh they let him run wild with it because you know if it's a pulp fiction maybe but if it's something else i i probably wouldn't want to be in, in, too much involved with it uh, stephanie what about you well it'll definitely be uh action-packed <laughs> and there'll be a <laughs> lot a... more f-bombs than what we got in discovery <laughs> Do you think that's great for a Star Trek movie? No, for Star Trek. I, I enjoy a lot of uh, his movies, but I mean, I'm looking through his IMDb right now. What? He directed something with the Muppets and the Wizard of Oz? What? That can't be right. <laughs> it's on the internet. It must be true. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a character in the Muppets Wizard of Oz. Okay, that oh, makes a lot more sense. <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, that I don't foresee him as someone who would really do much with Star Trek uh, decently. But then again, we have Seth MacFarlane doing stuff with sort of Star Trek decently. Here's the difference, because I've I've heard that before and, and comparing those two. But I think that's a false comparison only because Seth MacFarlane is a longtime Star Trek fan. Are we sure that Tarantino isn't, though? Well, and that's the thing. I asked that same question uh, of a friend of mine that even he said, well, the difference is Seth MacFarlane has said many times in many interviews, Tarantino's never said anything about Star Trek before. So even if he does enjoy Star Trek to some extent, it doesn't seem to be a passion like it is for uh, MacFarlane. So that's... So again, I, I'm not going to speak to whether or not Tarantino has liked previous Star Treks or not because I have no clue, but... It does seem to be, like, it's not the same level as a McFarlane. I don't know. Either way, I'm not going to hold my breath for it to actually happen. <laughs> okay. James, what do you think about all this? Well, I mean, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. I love all of his movies. All of the ones he's written and directed. I just, I, I don't know. I think he's a good storyteller, and I think he has a very unique vision of what he writes and what he films when he's making a Tarantino film. I think he's... Because in a recent interview, he had said, like, he kind of wants to do, like, some sort of adaptation within Star Trek, which that does kind of make me a little nervous because it's just like... Like, what when you say adaptation, do we mean, like, like you want to make this, like, Star Trek with Django Unchained? Like, what are we talking <laughs> here? Hey, Django but, Unchained, it's a great movie, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just... <laughs> Probably I mean, one part, of part, part, of his... Part of me is there with every every person who has kind of had the theory of in uh, parody of like what a Tarantino Star Trek would look like, and I do just imagine his film style. I don't honestly think he'll do that though. Um, I don't think he'll be like, oh, we're gonna film it in 120 millimeter and it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly don't know what to expect. I'd like to believe that. As a director, as somebody who has such a high appreciation for film and cinematography, um, I mean, he's somebody who has found foreign flicks and been like, this movie is amazing, and I think the world should see it and bring it back over into, you know, North America and things like that. So he's found some really good stuff. He's found some other stuff that wasn't so great. So I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm like a lot of people. I'm on the fence. I want to believe he'll do a good job, but there's nothing in his credit that shows me that he is sci-fi capable. Everything else is like some weird Western or 
like Japanese fantasy on like an action film kind of thing with his style. So I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I think that's why a lot of people are having a disconnect with it is because they don't know what a, a sci-fi, even any generic sci-fi Tarantino film would be much less Star Trek. But yeah. Um, and Ryan, what about you? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember what I said when we discussed this last time. So, <laughs> so I don't contradict myself, but ah, you to, be, to be fair, all the time, Ryan, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, the odds of me contradicting myself on this one are really low because uh, Tarantino would not be my first pick. I don't even think he'd break my first 100 picks for um, Star Trek. And it's not because, again, he's a, a bad, as we've mentioned, he's bad at what he does. He's really good at what he does, but it's a very niche area. Uh, Hateful Eight was pretty good. Uh, yeah, Pulp Fiction, obviously, yeah. But I don't know. I guess... I. Here's where it might be weird, and this, I think, also shows just how versatile Star Trek can be. I would kind of like to see his interpretation of Deep Space Nine, but I don't want him on the Enterprise. <laughs> I can see that. I can, too. Yeah. I mean, th this is the thing, though. You know, nobody thought Seth MacFarlane could pull off a, a decent sci-fi, and I think that, as, you know, people have various opinions about McFarlane, but one thing that I think when you watch the Orville that you can see, it's at least a decent science fiction show. Yeah. It's far more serious than, uh, you know, I think anyone thought that it was going to be. So I think that Tarantino also, just because he hasn't done a science fiction film before, doesn't mean that he can't do a good one. And it really does depend on what Paramount... What they sign off on. Right, yeah. what they sign off on, I think. Because, yeah, I mean, could he go completely off the rails and do something that's so far out there that no one will accept it as Star Trek? Sure. But could he surprise us all by doing something where it's like, wow, you know, I mean, this is this is really exciting and interesting and, and yeah. different, but still feels like what we all, you know, enjoy as Star Trek. So, I don't know. Well... I'll tell you what what I say what I say when there's some new casting which has you know fandom up in a roar whether it's um oh gosh oh I I can't believe I'm blinking his name but the guy who keeps wanting to be Gambit oh Channing Tatum yeah Channing Tatum yeah thank you yeah and my my feeling about this is and it, I'll apply it to directing with Tarantino here I wouldn't have picked them but I never would have picked the guy who did the musical Oklahoma as Wolverine right. and look look how that worked out so you know. I'll, I'll take a wait and see. So does anyone think that the R rating thing is just a knee-jerk reaction to movies like Deadpool and Logan and that it's really not necessary? It's not necessary. Anyone else have an opinion on it? I'm, I'm interested to see what a rated R Star Trek is going to do. Like, exactly where are we going to cross over into that's going to give it an R rating? Like, what like what kind of violence? Or what kind of, like, overt sexuality? Or, like, what what is going to be the thing that gives it an R rating? Because that's that's hard for me to picture, seeing the, the history of Star Trek. It's really hard for me to pick out, like, well, what is R? Because there's a lot of things that, like, way back when... They totally considered like a PG kind of thing that nowadays, like we as a society have evolved with how much we are desensitized to like violence on TV that we're like, oh, I mean, they gave it a PG. It probably could have been G. Who knows? So <laughs> it's it's hard to say like what we'll get out of an R rating. Well, you know, Gone with the Wind was for adults only because he said, I don't give a damn at the end of the movie. So exactly. <laughs> and. and that whole ranking system is really pretty arbitrary too and it just depends on the particular committee that happened to watch that movie and there's not any like, 
at least the last time I read up on the rating system, there wasn't any true guidelines as to what qualifies and what doesn't for majority of the things. I think there is the limit on like F bombs and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah language and nudity. That's really all it's going to be. Happening. Yeah. yeah. And it really I feel wasn't... like that would be the most thing is just a lot of f bombs <laughs> just from the history of Tarantino movies. And it really wasn't that long ago that something like a comedy, for instance, if you gave it a comedy an R rating, it would tank at the box office, guaranteed. And now we've had a, a huge, you know, list of of R rated comedies that have done well upon their re- releases. We said the same thing about comic book movies, and Deadpool aside, Logan was amazing with an R rating. So I, I think it's possible to to do something that just skirts into R. It may not even be F-bombs. It may just be uh, a bit too much violence or it could be, you know, a, a bare-chested woman or something, you know? There's it no reason just... boobs should make it R. <laughs> Amen. Uh, well, it depends if they're blue or not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's at least a G rating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. See, the thing with me, though, is I feel like Tarantino throws a lot of that stuff in when it's not really necessary. And his movies do tend to be a bit on the gratuitous side, so that's what I don't want. If somebody, you know, if there's something where it's just like, we need to include this and it's going to make the movie R because it helps tell the story, that's one thing, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm not a huge Tarantino fan anyway. Uh There are a few of his movies that I've liked, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because... You know, while I do think that McFarlane is not uh, equivalent to Tarantino, I do think the fact that McFarlane could pull off a good science fiction says that we should give everybody the benefit of the doubt on something like that. That just because they haven't done something before doesn't mean that they can't. Mm-hmm. Well, and on the upside, if it does bomb for Tarantino, he's just going to go right back to making his own movies. He'll right. be like, you know what, I'm not going to direct anything else. <laughs> Right. What I don't want to happen, though, is for it to uh, put another long pause on Star Trek for a while because people are like, oh, well, the audiences don't want Star Trek. Did I miss something? Because I thought this was still purely hypothetical, but you guys are talking like it's actually a signed thing. Well, here's the thing. With every film project, there is the potential for it to be derailed, but I mean, they're working on scripts and things are actually going forward. So, yeah, it's not like they're actually filming yet. So it can still be put on hold and, and shelved, but it's it looks like everything's going forward. Well, this is when I started talking here, I thought this was still purely rumor mill rumor mill hypothetical stuff. I didn't realize that that much work had already been progressing. Yeah, the report that came out, I don't know, a month and a half, two months ago was that these scripts are being written right now. Interesting. Yep. Well, I guess we'll see where it goes. Yeah. I retract my, hold my breath that it's going to happen. Well, actually, maybe I don't retract that statement. But when I said I hold, I hold my breath, I'm having difficulty speaking tonight, and I'm not the one drinking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's osmosis. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, when I said that earlier, I, I was still thinking this was pure rumor mill, not possibly actually happening thing. Sure. sure. I, I would give it like 30% chance right now of happening yeah it's it's really interesting too i think quentin tarantino was the same filmmaker who said he's only got a certain number i want to say 13 because he's only got 10 films you know of his own making that are that are on his his books i think he said he's only gonna do like 13 or 15 films then he's gonna retire and he had all road mapped out this is what i want to do and then the star trek thing comes out out of left field you're like really dude because you said 15 and you're out like does this count as one of your 15? I don't know. Maybe he is just a closeted geek and doesn't talk about his love of sci-fi and Star Trek much. 
Could be. Alright, but yeah, I think we've uh, kind of beat this one to death. But sounds like we're all pretty much on the same page of cautiously optimistic. So we'll just have to see uh, how things go. But before we start talking about Star Trek Discovery, let's pause for a moment to listen to this promo from another fine podcast. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. And I'm Tony Heath. And we have a sneaking suspicion that you don't actually listen to these promos. So we're not going to make you listen to one. Bye! Brought to you by the Watchathon of Rassilon, a podcast where Joe and Tony watch all of Doctor Who and then talk to you about it. Available on the ESO Network or wherever else you get podcasts from. But honestly, where else would you go? WatchYourRassilon.com? Oh yeah, that makes sense. And we're back. And uh, now that offline we've discussed our alignments, it's time to dive into the topic. (laughs) And before we start, just really quick, because Michael and Stephanie did this last time, I just want to know uh, from James and Ryan uh, how you got into Star Trek in the first place. So, James, why don't we start with you? Oh, man. So, it was back in the day, which was a Wednesday. No. Um, (laughs) It was... It was, man, I was a kid when The Next Generation came out. And I remember it was just one of those things like my parents watched. So my mom and my dad watched. My mom was definitely more of a Trekkie than probably I ever was. Um, her and her sister both. They're like, like my aunt watched the original Star Trek through The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. I mean, she's, I'm pretty sure my aunt has watched every iteration on television, as well as read every freaking Star Trek book that exists. Wow. Yeah, she's like hardcore. So I got into The Next Generation. I never, and and like, it kind of dropped off the radar after a while for me, because I watched, I watched all the Star Trek movies growing up, and it was just something that was kind of a family, like, bonding thing, and it kind of fell off the rails for me, because, I don't know, young, dumb, distracted, who knows. Uh, And then... I got back into it really as far as TV goes with this iteration with discovery. So it's been a long time. And part of me is just like, you know, I should really go back and like watch 
rewatch pretty much all of the original series and then watch Deep Space Nine, rewatch Next Generation, like just to kind of like shake things out as far as where the universe was, because that's where I found myself in this new iteration. I was like, where in the timeline is any of this? I had to go to the internet to figure it out because I was like, I don't know. So yeah, it's, but it's been good. That's like I said, it's kind of something that pulls me and my family together every time we get into it. Oh, okay, good, cool. And Ryan, what about you? Well, I don't have a, a real family connection regarding it. I'm basically the only nerd in, in my immediate family. So, but I'm okay. I'm old enough where I watched Next Generation when it aired, but young enough that original series was just in reruns for me. And I, I really I don't remember a time where Star Trek wasn't in my life in, in some form. Whether it was just catching original series and reruns, or the anime series, or what, but or or the movies. Uh, the eighties was also you know when the movies were probably at their height, uh, or the original you know series movies. And so yeah, I just when Next Generation came out, it was like I was going to watch it, and I did watch it. Uh, starting from then, I watched every episode of every Trek when it aired. I haven't, with the exception of one Next Generation episode. I, there is a one, not one episode I haven't seen. So, what is there still a Next Generation episode you've never there seen? There is, but now it's kind of a point of pride that I, I won't go track it down and watch it. You know? oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> do do you know which one that is? I could tell you, like a, it's a later, like season five or six or something, is one with Riker and uh, some aliens. I can't really remember much beyond that at the moment. But the one with the Riker and the aliens. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Kirk taught the woman how to make love. <laughs> yeah, there, there are two that spring to mind right away. But um, okay. Um, okay. So, uh, just out of curiosity, did you watch the animated series on Nickelodeon? I honestly can't remember where I watched oh, okay. it, but I did watch it. If, if in the early '80s it, it was only airing on Nickelodeon, then yes, that's the only place I know of it. But I don't know about your local market and whether or not it was on any of your local channels. But as far as I'm aware, when we were kids, uh, it was it was only available on Nickelodeon. Yeah, I mean that sounds right, but I can't couldn't say. Okay. For sure. But okay, no, that's that's pretty interesting. It's funny because it's like it's, it seems like you never really talk much about Star Trek, but now it's like, oh yeah, I'm a big Star Trek fan. I've been since I was a little kid. It's it's like I, I also don't talk a lot about just breathing, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, P- point if, made. If I were to get a nerd tattoo, it would be a Star Trek emblem. I mean, that's uh, okay. and that's just how important it is to me. It was it's literally my oldest fandom. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's either Star Trek or Star Wars, because I can't remember a time when I hadn't seen either, you know, so it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, Star Wars has always been there, Star Trek's always been there. And they might have fed into each other for me, Uh, you know, you see the Star Wars movie, but you only had the the three movies, so what are you going to do otherwise? And oh, here's Star Trek, so I I couldn't tell you which I saw first, but yeah, growing up, they were kind of hand in hand. Okay. Okay. So uh, now coming to the present day with the latest series of Star Trek, we have Star Trek Discovery, which was kind of controversial from the get-go because uh, it was used as a CBS All Access original series. So anyone who wanted to see it in this country, people overseas could get it on Netflix. But in this country, uh, you had to get uh, CBS All Access to watch it, which wasn't uh, a very common streaming service. So 
Ryan, I know you, we've talked about this on our streaming on the streaming service episode, but just out of curiosity, how did people feel about the CBS All Access thing? Because uh, that was like a big point of contention. Uh, Stephanie, uh, how about you? I don't know if I should answer how I watched it on this podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, let's. Well, see, funny enough, that's what Ryan, uh, Sam, and I were talking about in the in the uh, streaming service episode was the fact that we felt like you know a lot of people were going to bypass the. Uh, the rules to uh to get that so um uh how about you james i like to break rules okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean for this me this is telling I me a lot right that here was the reason is i was just like so wait you guys want me to subscribe to yet another <laughs> streaming service that i have because you want this thing like i i was really just mad about it i was just like you know realistically guys like You'd have a bigger viewership if this was just on CBS Network. Like, or just why? Netflix. Well, here's the thing. I think the whole thing that science fiction can't do well on network TV is a bogus argument. Now, obviously on network TV, they couldn't have the swearing. I- I'm not sure we needed to see Klingon boobs, but, you know, whatever. Those were there. But, you know, they couldn't no, do that on network TV. That. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I managed to forget about that. Right. How? They kept showing it. Like, my wife is traumatized. <laughs> she literally told me I'm traumatized. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I think that whole argument that it wouldn't, that Star Trek won't work on network TV is bogus. So, Michael, how... <laughs> did, did you actually sign up for CBS All Access? I am the only lawful good member of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I signed up for it also. But I, but I took advantage of the free month in December so that I could watch. So I waited until December, got caught up, and then I paid for January and February just to finish out the series. I, you know, I, I was very apprehensive about it to begin with because, you know, I, I, I get the argument that it's, you know, it's another streaming service. You're making me sign up for yet another thing, that kind of, you know. I'm, I'm having to shell money out for that. We watched the the first half of the pilot. I refuse to call the second episode anything other than part two of the pilot. But anyway, and we said, okay, you know, the the, the first episode looked pretty good to us. And I, I just started digging around online and found a promo code, all that kind of stuff. So I could support a local podcast and all this other good stuff. So, okay, we got, we got, what was it? 14 days or something like that for free. Uh, okay, let's let's give it a shot. They'll give us a few episodes in the can. We can watch this. We'll be ready to go. And we just got hooked. And you know, I, I said, okay, well, it's it's effectively what six bucks a month. And there's other stuff on CBS that I would like to catch up on. And they hey, they've got it there. And if when the Blu-rays hit, I was going to buy those anyway. So it's roughly about the same. Plus, I'm getting more mo- you want more bang for my buck with you know stuff like Madam Secretary that I really wanted to watch but I couldn't find anywhere else. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll stick with this, you know, as long as it seems to work all right. The, the big downside, of course, is the connection issues on CBS All Access, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hope that they do a hard media release. I mean, it, it's one of those things that it seems like with streaming services becoming more and more common, less of the, you know, it used to be pretty much guaranteed that if a season aired on television, there'd be a DVD set for it eventually, but... You know, it's it's it, they're long delays or some not coming at all. It seems like so. I'm hopeful for a hard yeah. media release because I do like those. My and I, and biggest gripe with all access was the fact that there is not a single other show on CBS I care about, and it's available on Netflix everywhere else in the world. Yeah, 
if well, it wasn't for those two factors, I think Canada's an exception where Canada it's actually broadcast on TV. But yeah, if it were available on Netflix, sure, fine. If it wasn't available on Netflix elsewhere in the world, okay, it's a little bit more worthwhile to go for all access then. If there were other shows I was interested in, I wasn't going to pay for one singular show. So. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. The, the, <clears throat> the whole thing I just walked you through was my stream of consciousness. It was not a, a knee-jerk pull the trigger I'm in. It was like, okay, can I reason this out? Is there something else I want to do with this? And it took me a while to come to that conclusion that it was worth it for me. But if, you, if, <laughs> if there's only one thing on Al Access that you really care about, and that's Star Trek, absolutely. I disagree yeah. completely with it because it's, you know, it's six bucks a month for, for just one show. It, it doesn't work. Exactly. The one thing I do appreciate, though, is some of the early reports. The uh, executives for CBS All Access were saying that they were going to f- find some way of defeating people from just paying, you know, for a few months and then dropping. And so they made it sound like they might do like a window of only like, you know, a few episodes will be available at a time and then we'll drop off episodes as new episodes get in. And that, you know, I would have hated because, like I say, what I did was I started in December. And all the shows, you know, up to the break were available right then, so I could just watch the whole first half all the way through. And then they even kept that up when the second half went up of all the first half episodes were still available. So, really, if I had waited until February, I could have just gotten a one-month subscription and just watched the whole, you know, series, uh, you know, just in February. So, I am glad that they didn't do that, because that, I think, would have been a a lot more annoying if they had just had a few available at a time. I won't get into the ethics or whatnot of you know how you watch it although i did watch it from the beginning and it was literally the only thing i did watch on cbs all access i mean it's nice having the options of watching more but now that's between i've got so much to watch as is that even though i would have liked to go watch reruns of other trek i didn't um and of course i immediately canceled all access uh, the moment it was over right but, so did I. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for those who, for the, just, just to speak to the connectivity issues, I don't know if it happened towards the back end of this season or if it's just going to be going forward in season two, but CBS All Access will be available through Amazon Prime for an additional fee. So I'm hoping that that's how I'm going to do it for season two. And I'm hoping that that'll have better connectivity because that was quite tiresome. Do you know what the additional fee is? I think it's going to be similar to what you, you're paying already, but uh, I think it'll be commercial free. Okay, because, yeah, I mean, actually, I like that better anyway because my Blu-ray player connects to Amazon Prime, so I don't have to do something convoluted to watch CBS All Access on my TV. I I will like that. You really got my hopes up with that Amazon Prime until you said another additional. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm totally game for Amazon Prime. Oh, wait. (laughs) For me, it was the the price of, you know, getting a going out and getting a burger so yeah i was gonna do it so uh you know once the the show started airing they did that first episode on the cbs network and uh i kind of agree with a lot of people that that one episode by itself was a mistake oh yeah because i don't think it really left a very good impression of what the series was going to be like because there's that two-parter for the pilot and then the whole rest of the series is completely different So uh, that's my opinion. I mean, do you guys agree with that? Well, honestly, that also kind of partly plays in part as to why I went through uh, convoluted ways of Netflixing the show. 
So that that first episode is kind of why I went about the convoluted Netflix watching for it was because I was pretty put off by the actual pilot for the show. I thought it looked amazing. Granted, the Klingons look a lot more like something out of Stargate than something out of uh, <laughs> Star Trek. But it, it really made me apprehensive about paying for a service specifically for that show. So I actually did wait a while uh, before I even started watching any of these other episodes after seeing just that first half. Because I was like, I, I had gone into this being cautiously optimistic, thinking it can't be any worse than the start of Enterprise. And note, I said the start of Enterprise. So I, I was apprehensive. And then that pilot hit. And I'm like, it looks pretty, but <laughs> it's worse than the start of Enterprise. Okay, maybe not. But you get my, my emotional conflict here. <laughs> but once I got to episode three, finally, I was like, oh, okay, this is a lot different. <laughs> yeah. And and really, that's that's the biggest problem I had with, aside from the the pilot you know the vulcan hello and battle at binary stars being split as a hook to bring you into all access the the biggest problem i have is that it's really just a prologue and it, it is that whole set those those two are just backstory that could have been filled in elsewhere by by uh, flashbacks or something else and the series should have really begun with contexts for kings because that is the start of the discovery story yeah and i i i don't like it's really one of the few complaints i've got i just I, I feel like those two episodes should have been split out somewhere else. I mean, yes, it's important to know where Burnham comes from. It's important to know her history with Georgia and how this whole Klingon war got started. But it could have been, it could have been something they fed to us later and left left the mystery hook of okay, we're in the middle of this. You know, we're right there, and she's done something bad, and she's got all this guilt. Why? You know, uh, you know, Saru doesn't trust her. Why? You know, and instead, it's just like. We've got two random stories, and then, okay, now we're into the real meat of the, of the, of the project. Yeah. I think, you know, I hadn't thought about it until you said it, but yeah, starting with Context is for Kings would have been a far more interesting hook. And, you know, doing it as flashbacks, that's fairly common nowadays with storytelling, and I don't see why they couldn't have done it. I mean, the Arrow did it for, like, five seasons. <laughs> why not? <laughs> Arrow, Once Upon a Time. I mean, it's all, all these shows do it now. I mean, maybe they didn't want to do it just because it is so common, but I think that that would have been a far better way of, of doing it. Because, yeah, I mean, you do need to know about Giorgio, and you need to know about the war and how it started and what Burnham did. But, yeah, it just seems like just starting with that, because it was kind of, I don't know, it's weird to say that it was boring, even though it was a big action <laughs> you know, sequence uh, at the uh, second part, but I don't know, I just felt like I was kind of bored with those two episodes, and I really wasn't invested until that third one. The Vulcan Hello had the same sin that NBC stopped the original series for, which was that the, the pilot was too cerebral. That's what they said about the cage, was that it was it was far too cerebral. Trek is good when it's cerebral, but it doesn't hook you when it's far too cerebral. And that's that's kind of what the Vulcan Hello was. Was It was, like you said, very slow, not a lot of action, and then you get the Battle of Binary Stars, and it's like, okay, this is really picking up. But I understand why people are like, this is not my trek, I'm out, after just one episode. I was almost there myself. Yeah. By and large, I just to throw my two cents in, if I was to make a defense of the first two episodes, the pilot, and the, this was clearly filmed, as you know, Michael was saying, as the pilot together. The only defense I would make of it, or, or the only justification I could say for why it had to be that way instead of a flashback, would be to introduce the new Klingons. 
not to have anything to do with Michael or Burnham. You know, Burnham. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Discovery itself. But just because this was a whole new... Uh, basically, aside from Kalos, there was al- there's almost nothing familiar with these Klingons. And that would be, I would say, why you might need uh, those two episodes. The thing with the Klingons, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, because that is one of the things I wanted to talk about, is that... There are so many interesting things that as a longtime Star Trek fan, I kind of saw where, okay, because when we see the Klingons in the original series, they don't seem to be a unified empire. They seem to be just a bunch of marauding bands that just sort of, you know, do their own thing and aren't very, you know, strong. And so, you know, the whole idea of the houses not really working well together and being divided and, you know, stuff like that. That was sort of like, okay, that actually fits in fairly well with this time period and track, and I kind of get what they're going for. But then there was the stuff like, you know, completely changing the look of the Klingons, which I get that it's been done before. But when it was done before, it was done because they used to be in blackface. (laughs) You know, okay, I mean, that needed to change with modern sensibilities. You know, that needed to to change and, and to realize that, you know, that's not acceptable to just take a white actor and smear some black on him. And it's like, oh, it's an alien. So I did not get why they felt the need to change the look of the Klingons. I don't get why they needed to have a blue hue. I mean, I get the that's just the one that's really blue, but they all have a blue hue. And I don't get why they want to make them look more alien, but then have them more easily defeated by humans. You know, I'm seeing people snap Klingon necks, and I'm like, what? (laughs) I mean, they look even more armor-plated and more durable now, and you're just having humans just defeat them so easily. I don't... That bothered me. The other thing that bothered me was the language, which I've heard that this was how the guy who devised the language originally wanted it to sound like, but I'm used to Klingon sounding very guttural and clipped, and this sort of very wheezy sound that they're making now when they speak just really throws me because it's just like, the, you know, it doesn't sound like Klingon. You know? no. <laughs> that, that it bothers was, me. That's an amazing impression, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it sounds like they're wheezing when they talk. They're, they're constantly in need for air, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was the biggest thing I had with the Klingons. Like, I, I got the makeup change. It was a little startling at first. And I was like, okay, I, I can deal with this. I could deal with oh, a whole yeah, bunch of the other stuff. I can deal with there. the look. I, I, it just, it just yeah. bothered me because I felt it was unnecessary. Yeah. I, the biggest thing I had a problem with, it, it relates to what you're saying about how they were speaking. It, you're taking... I, I love the idea of them speaking in Klingon language for a little bit and having subtitles and having it feel more authentic. But for God's sake, they had every scene oh. with these actors spitting out Klingon language through all that appliance and all the subtitles. It's like, okay, one episode, maybe. But you are hindering these actors. Once they started speaking speaking uh, uh, English, like those actors were amazing as Klingons. Yeah. But trying to stumble over this this made up language <laughs> through all that you know denture work and everything else, and trying to emote. You're used to the Klingons coming in and having a really strong presence and, you know, dominating the room and, you know, having a lot of really powerful, you know, uh, charisma, you know, and gestures and talking. And these guys just kind of stood there wheezing. (laughs) I just just didn't feel like I was getting a Klingon. Uh, I I really, I don't know, with, with the way the technology appeared in the show and everything else, I wish they'd just said it post next gen and called these guys something else. Same, same, same. I keep saying 
almost every single problem I have with Discovery wouldn't be a problem if it had just been post-Voyager. Yeah. And I feel like they could have they could have even kept them being the Klingons. Just being post-Voyager would have made more sense. Well, uh, that there was more genetic engineering going on again with the Klingons. And so we ended up with a new look for them and just there's so much the only things that really pull it to the time frame that it's stuck in are references to Sarek and then at the end, spoiler, to Pike. Well, Harry Mud. Well, and Mud, but really, did you need Mud? Well, he could have been a different character, too. Exactly. That was, again, just another, that was a fan service throwback. Yeah. Well, I, I will say, as far as just the appearance of the Klingons go, I didn't didn't have a problem with it. it. It kind of, it really makes sense in a way, if you think about the fact that the Klingons have been in space longer than humanity, they've been on multiple worlds, and the populations on these worlds are going to evolve differently. So I could buy, okay, fine, the Klingons that were in power then looked like this, and in the future they're going to look more like Worf, and you, at the same time, we're going to, somewhere in there, we're going to have, you know, uh, the whole enhancement and everything or i actually i guess as previously in enterprise but yeah fine i can buy that across the klingon empire there are klingons that look differently the language and the dialect thing yeah maybe same thing it just varies from from region to region in the klingon empire the thing i didn't like (laughs) and it might be a small thing but for me the only thing that rubbed me wrong and it's kind of what they did with harry mudd they take something and then they just twist it into a, a perverse area is the fact that now Klingons apparently eat humans. I don't remember that ever being a thing. Well, I see, I didn't have a problem with that because I felt like that was very much in keeping with the Klingon hunter-warrior mentality. Yeah, I kind of did too. That just kind of rolled right off for me. I mean, they have their blood wine. Who's to say what that blood is made from? (laughs) And I I really didn't have a problem with it because how long have they been out there and they had no food left? They're going to eat whatever meat's available. (laughs) That's true too. Well, that's a practical matter, maybe, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, so we've been talking a lot about this, James, since you came pretty much from just next gen uh before this how do you feel about the the klingons and how they're depicted in this i mean it was definitely a little bit jarring when the only klingon you've really ever seen is Worf. because i was just like these guys look really different <laughs> it, and so it was it was jarring to start i got used to it over time I don't know that I necessarily like the aesthetic. I mean, I, I get like the arguments, uh, like Ryan was saying, and I could I could definitely get behind much of that. It's still though, like when <laughs> I can see from the perspective of like for longtime fans where it'd be like like this isn't anything we've ever seen. The weird thing though is this isn't the first time like lately in recent history we saw a little bit of a change in the Klingons because we saw it in the newest Star Trek movie where the Klingons that they ran into like in the yeah. very beginning of the movie also had a very different look that if I remember right was a lot closer to what we're seeing in the TV series so I don't I don't know if it was a direct duplication at all but maybe long like long term they were thinking of doing this you know a few years ago before they had even like written out the TV series for discovery. So I did like a lot of those things though, that it made the Klingons feel very tribal in a lot of ways with the whole, like eating their enemy to, you know, take, you know, essentially to take their power kind of thing, which I was just like, you know, that for me, I felt like that really struck true with like what I know from like the Klingons, as far as like, you know, the fact that they have, you know, trials by combat for, for a number of different uh, scenarios, the fact that, you know, they have these households that 
at any given time may be working together and may just hate each other. Um, again, is that like very tribal aesthetic kind of thing. So small things like that I liked. The Klingon language was very different. I remember one of the first books I ever bought on my own, and I never learned any of it, <laughs> was I bought a Star Trek Klingon dictionary when I was like 12. <laughs> and I still have it on my bookcase, I'm pretty sure. And so there is like a lot of it, like like you said, Nathan, where like what we've seen before is very guttural. And yeah, it was very different with the way that it was presented. I don't know. It. I think. I think the fact that I've had such a big lapse made it easy for me to just kind of accept the new changes and just be like, "Well, I mean, I guess that's what we're doing now." There were definitely things though that I. I, I don't know. They were just weird, and I was just like, "What?" And I didn't understand. And maybe some of it I didn't understand because it's things that are part of the whole lore within Star Trek from other series, um, with like the whole the. I don't know what they were called, but like the sisters or uh, or whatever that he ends up going to to sacrifice everything. No, ninety nine percent of what they did in this series was completely in this series. I mean, it was just came up in this series. I mean, that house had never been mentioned before. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of this is new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so there were there were things like that that I'm I'm interested to see if they're going to explore further. I would have liked more exploration because there's a weird jump that happens in there because of that. That I was like, wait, what? Huh? And it took me a couple of episodes and then I suddenly figured it all out. And I was just like, I put this together too easy. But other than that, I, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really have too much of an issue outside of weird Klingon boobies um, <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that scene. <laughs> it's it's in your brain forever. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. One of the things was the old design for women Klingons was actually really kind of like, Oh, how do I? I'm the woman Sexualized. on the podcast. I'm sitting here thinking, how do I phrase this? Yeah, like the Duras sisters with the cleavage all out to you know. They had a very. Uh, they had an attractive sex appeal to them. Right. Whereas this time around, we actually get Klingon sex, and uh, there's it's horrifying. <laughs> The word you're looking for is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if we had that with the old Klingon models, you know, it wouldn't have been terrible. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So, um, anyway, Kling <laughs> Klingon well, changes aside. Before you, yeah, I mean, before we go delve too much into Klingon reproductive strategies, <laughs> it's always been very, very rough. I remember Worf and Jazia having to go to sick bay. Well, a couple of times. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and Quark and his girl. and <laughs> Forget her name. But anyway. I think that a lot of that also had to do with they are trying to be as shocking and as, as horrifying as possible because of, of what happens with, with Voke and, and Ash Tyler. You know, and, and that transition, what what is happening to those characters. I was shocked at first. I was like, whoa, whoa, what? what okay wait, this makes sense with what they're trying to show us. But yeah, it was it was very shocking at first. It's like, boobs don't belong on Star Trek. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Only in Tarantino Trek. Right. <laughs> and then you can get a lot of them. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, th there were some other changed premises. I guess we'll just keep on talking about changed premises for a few minutes. 
Here's the one thing that I really didn't like far more than the the Klingon thing was the fact that they could have instant holographic communication anywhere in the galaxy. One of the yeah. things that I think is really good about original Trek is that it feels like they really are out there in the unknown and it could take hours or days for Starfleet to get in touch with them if they encounter anything really bad. And the the instant holographic communication anywhere in the galaxy that I kind of that kind of bothered me. It's another reason why I feel like if the series had been set after Next Gen or Voyager, it would have felt a lot better for me because say they don't use the spore drive ever again, I, I would like it to feel more like that. You know, they're out in the middle of nowhere kind of thing where it's really dangerous and you know they don't have you know Starfleet at their beck and call. And so I, I think it was a poor choice. Um, I don't think it was really necessary, but that that did kind of bother me. I was I can with you. I could defend it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to. But this is the way, this is where I'm at with Star Trek. And I did the same thing with the 2009 Abrams-Kelvin version, where any continuity error anyone threw at me, with, with one exception, I can fix. And you have to think outside the box. And granted, that's lazy writing on their part. But you could make the argument that, by and large, Discovery was within Federation space almost the entirety of the series. So we've they've established... An, other series that there are communication arrays throughout the the federation so it's pretty easy to think that hey when you're inside their own borders holographic communication not a problem the five-year mission was basically an uncharted territory and so that's why you don't have that easy access of communication Hmm. yeah i agree there are the times where enterprise with picard was in earth space and they're not using that at all i mean i guess if we really want to stretch it maybe that communication is easier to be intercepted by the borg i have i I have the perfect argument dc comics owns the star trek comic therefore the flash ruined the timeline (laughs) (laughs) damn it barry (laughs) all right that works (laughs) nothing more needs to be said about that but yeah no i i mean yeah i i yeah i would like to there are exceptions to that even in original track where they still you know they are within federation borders because they're going to colonies it still seems to take a long time for starfleet to answer but yeah i i i I can accept that that probably covers 99 percent of occurrences so I, I think that works, Ryan. That's a pretty good one. Ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I still feel like ship to ship then should be able to communicate like that. No, I mean, and I get it. I mean, the holographic part is is not going to be explainable within the confines of the original series. But but the instant part, which was my, more of my problem, was the was the thing that mm-hmm. Ryan was trying to help with. And then uh, Ryan, I know that you have an issue with Harry Mud. Oh, I hated him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love. Harry Mudd in the original series, and I think Harry Mudd can be done right, but this version of him was too too vindictive, too evil. I mean, he he was cruel, and that wasn't Harry Mudd was a shyster. Yes, yes, he was about himself, but he was not the not this. And now, granted, this is a younger version. Maybe when he gets older, he mellows out a little bit. But maybe being uh, sold back to his wife. Yeah, <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> but I mean, this just this did not feel like the same Harry Mud that we see later on on the Enterprise. The actor though did a good job. Yeah, Rain Wilson did great. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at remembering their names, so thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, especially after we saw such a great job with the actor playing Sarek, whose name also escapes me at the moment, James trying Pratt. very hard. I mean, he's never going to have the gravitas of Mark Leonard, but, you know, doing such a good job of trying to portray Sarek that mm-hmm. I-, I felt like Mud was kind of jarring myself. Because this is only supposed to be 10 years before the original track, right? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was supposed to be seven, seven years before the pilot. So, yeah, that would be 10 years before Kirk is flying around. Right. So, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's 10 years before the original track. Uh, so about 10 years before we saw Harry Mudd, bef- you know, in the original series. And I don't know, it, it seemed like he was so different. He was so mean-spirited. And he, I mean, the time travel one, where he was just in the loop just to get revenge. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's hardcore. Yeah. That isn't like, oh, I just have some con deal that I want. You know, this is, I want revenge on you. Mm -hmm. I seriously love that Groundhog Day with killing Lorca so many times. (laughs) 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 I mean, I mean, Jason Isaacs is an amazing actor, but to see someone like take him, his gravitas to task, it just like, okay, you're going to die this way and this way and this way and this way. Like, oh, this is, this is lovely. Yeah, but yeah, so 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 yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of like the change premises things. Those are kind of the things that bothered me. But talking about the show itself, so, so you know, I mean, a lot of people have said that this isn't my Star Trek thing, and and you know, it doesn't feel like Star Trek. I feel like those people really needed to go for the long haul. I feel that overall, the series did eventually get to uh, you know a more hopeful interpretation of Star Trek uh, or of, of the universe. But uh, how do you guys feel about that, about the, you know, the sort of nebulous concept of whether or not it is Star Trek? You know, Ryan, what about you? Well, I think a lot of the fans are having difficulty separating their dislike of having to stream it, pay for another streaming service from the quality or lack of quality of the show itself. They immediately disliked that they were going to have to pay more, and so therefore they're going to dislike the show. And it, it, it got off at a wrong, a wrong foot from that just to begin with but as far as the show itself whether or not it's trek or not honestly i think it's just too soon to say if if you were to judge any trek series on their first season with a i'm, I'm gonna surprise myself by saying this but with the exception of maybe voyager none of them would have were that great they just did not really feel like trek or like like season one of next generation was not season seven of next generation and deep space nine one and seven were different shows entirely you know so yeah i think it's just no it's it's rough around the edges but that's that's a first season that's just how it's gonna be and but the 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 soul the foundation the principles which shined through even when they tried so hard for them not to were there of trek they and i think that was the whole purpose that was burnham's lesson throughout the entire series she was the soul of star trek in this series well it was definitely going for a grittier take in the beginning it was going for some i mean ds9's the closest thing you know during the dominion war but it was you know but it felt like even a little harder core than that and Lorca definitely we we get we get reasons for it later but Lorca definitely seemed like a much more brutal captain than we've ever seen before and what he was willing to do and his own vindictiveness. So, you know, I mean, from that standpoint, it was, it was intellectually interesting to me for the first half. I didn't really get excited for the show until the second half of the series. Yeah, the second half is when I was really getting into it, too. And, you know, as kind of sadistic as he was, I really kind of liked Lorca, though. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we finally got to the uh, the, the mirror universe and realized uh, just what he had done to alternate version of Michael. It, it got really weird, but I still kind of liked the character. It was yeah. it was just a different character than we're used to in this particular Starfleet setting. And really, I was wondering through most of it, how did this guy get a Starfleet command? And then we find out, oh, well, this is his evil counterpart. He's just shaved off the goatee. Yeah, I mean, they made it seem like in the first half that he had been traumatized somehow. And so you yeah. know, theoretically, he had been a different person before. Well, now now we know he really was a different person before yeah. when he got his command. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he was fun to watch, for sure. But yeah, I mean, he didn't... There was so much on there that felt like this just seems like a little skeezier than what I'm used to with Star Trek and just the way the characters interact. And, you know, they don't seem to be that sort of Starfleet brotherhood or, you know, what, you know... Everybody locks hands and, you know, they all like each other kind of thing that you're used to in Star Trek. So it was it was different. A lot of that stemmed from the fact that their captain wasn't part of Starfleet. He was <laughs> right. part of the Empire. Yeah, they, he was they, from the ISS Discovery, not the uh, USS. Yeah, they, they didn't actually do the entire, you know, locking hands kumbaya thing until they got a good cap, like a, a good Starfleet captain in, exactly. in Saru. And then they all came in together and said, hey, Starfleet Command, you're wrong. Well, and I think that's what, as, as somebody who's coming back to the TV series after many iterations have been missed, like literally the gap is I watched The Next Generation and I haven't watched a Star Trek series since <laughs> this one. And I don't know, that's what inclined me to watch this, though, is like I saw previews. I didn't initially see like the first episode, like like the pilot episodes upon their airing. I think I didn't start watching until it was about four episodes in. And like, I had a couple of people that are like, it's different. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's grittier than what I've seen in Star Trek before. And I was like, sold. I want to watch it because for me personally, like I, I don't know. I have a hard time believing in any series that there is like some omnipotent force that is just like, we're good. All the time, we've resolved all of humanity's issues, and everybody's wonderful. I don't buy it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just like, no, there's something darker in there. And so, like, this was a show that, like, yeah, for the first, like, kind of half of the series, like, it was really feeding that for me, where I was just like, man, the Federation was not all, like, let's, like, braid each other's hair and sing Kumbaya at all. Like, they were doing some dark messed up stuff and that was really interesting and i thought they did an interesting narrative change as you guys said like towards you know in the second half when we discover Lorca's origins and understand like there's an alternate reality and i was like oh man like they're really going whole hog between the movies uh the new movies <laughs> and this series where they're like you know what? We can just change the timeline. We can do whatever we want just like Barry Allen. <laughs> so, you know, it's I thought it was an interesting take, though. Like, it really it really made me excited to be like, you know, I kind of like that there's a different side of this. And it's not it's not all like, oh, we just discover other races and everything's just wonderful and we make peace. Like, there's legitimate conflict. And in a time of war, the Federation still was doing things that, you know, they didn't even know necessarily that they were doing, you know, at the behest of, you know, some crazy man leading a ship full of people. So I... I loved it. So, just out of curiosity, have any of you guys seen the scene that was recently released that was cut from the final episode? I didn't no. even know there was one. No. Oh. You need 
Share this with us. Mirror Giorgio is recruited by Section 31. <gasps> Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, find, find it on Facebook. It's probably on the Star Trek Discovery uh, Facebook page. But yeah, I saw it last night. And it was like, holy crap. You know, so I think the fact that they're releasing it shows that season two is probably going to move forward with that concept. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of excited for that because obviously Section Thirty One being that shady side of Starfleet that yeah. they've shown before, it makes sense that Discovery would kind of deal with you know that organization exists you know this far back. Can't well, on top of it, they because... confirmed season two will talk more about it. I can't remember if it was the last podcast we did for Star Trek or if it was just a conversation I had with other people, but I remember mentioning, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here that I would love to see Section 31 come into play with. So, the oh, I just got all excited and giddy. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as apprehensive as I was when this started. I mean, at the beginning of this podcast, you heard how much I did not care for the pilot. By the end of it, though, I was like, this is good. I want more. Well, and I think that it's really cool that they didn't just go for this is gritty Star Trek and you're never going to see any optimism or hopefulness out of this version of what we're doing. And it's like, they, they transitioned. They started there, and they went through a journey where at the end, you know, they had that moment. You know, they had the moments that showed that, no, this really is the same Starfleet you've seen before, but they the characters had to be tested. They had to have, you know, uh, uh, you know these things happen so that we could really show, you know, how do the ideals and morals of Starfleet stand up to these kinds of situations. And so I, I felt like that actually was the most, you know, the, the best way that they could have showcased, uh, you know, Starfleet. It, it's easy when everybody's behaving that way. It's difficult when you've got people on your own side saying, hey, you know, let's do things a different way. And that's that's why I think that when, when they ask the question, is this Star Trek? I think that's the wrong question. Because the, the question of, is this Star Trek? Well, yes, it says Star Trek in the title. It's got Star Trek all over it. It's got the DNA in it. The question is, is it good Star Trek? And I think we've come to the conclusion that that journey that, that Michael Burnham and the crew all take of going from the dark and gritty, we're in the middle of war, to at the end, these are our ideals. And by the way... Cadet Sylvia Tilly was Starfleet the entire time. I love that character. Oh, I do. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, she she was the kumbaya braid your hair, everyone loves each other character the entire time. And that's she became the role model of the ship. And I think that's what defines this as it is both Star Trek and it is good Star Trek because it actually comes back around full circle to this is what Starfleet believes in. And it's the same thing that we've seen in Trek before. I miss Killy. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> More so than any other character, she owned that idea of the mirror universe and like ratcheted it up all the way. Like, I'll, I'll cut your tongue off and lick my boots with it and stuff like that. I was like, yes, that is like the best line. <laughs> Yeah. Did you quickly look over to the side like, did I do okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that was beautiful. She was so sweet and innocent, yet she was trying to be this just brutal warmonger. And, oh. Well, you can tell in her brain, she has to be sitting there going, okay, I just have to say the absolute like most horrific, meanest things I can possibly think of <laughs> to even remotely pass on this. So I, I just have to say, though, and, and this is always a problem with evil regimes, the, the bad guys always have the better tailors. 
because I absolutely love the new version of the Mirror Universe uniforms. Oh, I'm right there with you. I I, I love it. I, I I was like, this is this is a way better costume than we've ever seen on Star Trek before. <laughs> it's not some little onesie, <laughs> right? They've got actual armor going on. Yeah, I love that look. <laughs> but anyway. Let's talk about characters a little bit. So, so Michael, would you, would you say Tilly is your favorite character on the show? I would, actually. And I, if we're talking about characters in general, I one thing I was really big about with this series was, or this season, uh, leading into the rest of it, is the, is the representation. I mean, we've got... We've got one of the first openly gay couples in Starfleet. We've got uh, we've got Sylvia Tilly as as a cadet in there who's who embodies Starfleet and her very ideals, and she is not the ideal body tape that we've seen for women in Star Trek. And that was refreshing to see that she she stands out. I mean, she's got all this this big curly hair, and she's you know she's not the the supermodelly type women we've seen before, and yet she's still taken at face value. She's still taken as an intelligent contributing member of the crew you know and, and those are the things that really drew me to to people like stamets and to tilly and to colber dr colber you know those those characters were just were so magnetic yeah I, I will say that i'm glad that they went more of the mentality of the original pilot where the women actually wore pants yes and <laughs> rather than by kirk's era when it's mini skirts for all the women and everything <laughs> That's one thing where, yes, I, I, I think that original pilot, it's, it's interesting because the original pilot has a, a female first officer and then, you know, there seems to be more women involved. And then by the time of Kirk's uh, Enterprise, we, we get women kind of relegated to secretarial duties. We're going to find out that was just the Enterprise and that was Kirk's mandate. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would not be surprised. <laughs> so, Ryan, how about you? Uh, favorite character on the show? Stamets. Okay. I, I I went like a full 180 on him. I hated him at first, and then by the end of the season, he just he he went through so much tragedy and such. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of fell in love with him a little bit. I mean, he was uh, an inspiration in a lot of us. It's Burnham's story, but I feel like if if we're gonna say Tilly or uh, Killy <laughs> is, the, <laughs> is the ideals of Starfleet, Stamets is the practical. Starfleet. He's the one. He's had to deal with Lorca for all this time, and he's just trying to get his. He's the science of Star Trek, trying to explore science. But then he finds his ethics along the way, and just uh, guides Tilly in 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 a lot of ways in her advancement. Mm-hmm. James, what about you? Do you have a favorite character on the show? It's kind of hard because uh, there's so many good characters. Like they're really well written because they're interesting and compelling in so many different ways, in their own unique ways. Honestly, it's it's hard for me. It's between Saru and Burnham because I think Burnham as a character is really interesting in the fact that she represents kind of the opposing force of the Federation from the beginning. Like she has like. Her, her motivations for what she does that starts the war, you can understand and you can see why like she's compelled to go that path. And the fact that it is just, it is an uphill battle forever, for the rest of forever, after that, for her to move up. And then on the same token, you have Saru, who's like that counter opposition to her. Like he is everything, he believes in everything the Federation is. Like his race of people, 
you know, were were tortured and enslaved and and like and they were prey. Like so he has this constant fear kind of in the back of his own mind all the time that at any time like the tides could shift and he could end up back in that kind of existence. And so he believes in everything that the Federation is and and you can understand his betrayal, how he feels betrayed by Burnham's actions and things like that and how they both had such a deep connection with their captain. I just think they were both really well-written characters and they maintained being well-written throughout the whole season. Yeah, I mean, it is nice that you have that juxtaposition because I believe that Burnham does believe in Starfleet and the Federation as much as Saru does. But she believed, for for a moment at least, she believed that the individual outweighed the organization, whereas Saru has always believed that, no, you've got to be by the book, do everything by the book. You know, there's a reason why there are rules in place. But then towards the end, they have that sort of convergence where they both kind of agree that what Starfleet is saying, you know, and what they're what they're being told to do isn't right and that there are instances where you have to take a stand and say what's being done is not right. And so it was kind of nice to have them on that on that journey together and the fact that he, you know, was kind of antagonistic towards her through most of the show, it, it kind of kept her on her toes, which I kind of liked. Yeah. For me, well, I mean, we talked about Lorca before, but I think of the characters we haven't talked about yet, uh, as far as favorite characters, he was definitely the most interesting, because it was kind of we. I mean, his motivations were murky, he was willing to sell the Admiral, you know, up the river, basically, just to keep his command, it did seem weird that he was kind of fixated on Burnham and, his, and the need for Burnham to be there and everything, but he was also a really clever tactician, you know, he was a very savvy captain, and, and, and so it was kind of interesting to see that, you know, and to see, you know, this character that seemed like he could have been a Starfleet captain that had just become jaded, cynical, you know, uh, and then just to find out who he is, you know, that, oh, he's from the Mirror Universe, that explains a lot of the darker undertones. So, um, you know, I, I like that. I guess I'll also talk about Ash Tyler, who I really liked. I was going to mention him, but you beat me too long. Stephanie, why don't you just talk about Ash then? Well, I mean, I I thought he was a really dynamic character. I didn't really trust him from the get-go, which is funny because then by the end, I was like, no, Ash, don't go. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he, especially in that middle part where he's really struggling between Ash and Volk, he really kind of showed a interesting balancing act between humanity and being Klingon which kind of threw back to Worf who is one of my favorite characters just he is going at it from a completely different way of being torn between the two cultures and I I don't know I honestly I think he can do better than Burnham I also don't really, I, I don't know, he needs to find just some someone new from his little love triangle life. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was just like one of those like really open, really nice kind of guys, you know, I mean, yeah. there, there wasn't anything, other than the fact that he was being really deceptive, he just didn't realize it. Yeah, I, I mean, even if you think about it, Volk was a, a character that was very much like that too. He was a Klingon that was very open and accepting and just trying to unify his people and probably comes from him being an outcast yeah yeah because he's a rare albino Vul- uh, vulcan <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been watching uh, star trek <laughs> i'm tired <laughs> um he's a rare albino klingon 
And I mean, that's something we never heard of before. But I thought the dual personalities were just really well balanced but also complementary of each other. It was a decent fake out, I felt, because they kept the the actors that they 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 screwed up the actor's name for Voke so that you didn't wouldn't know oh, that yeah. it was the same person playing it. And because he was under so much makeup, mm-hmm. it yeah. was not something you could tell when Ash appeared that oh, it's Voke. Yeah. That was going around like almost from the first episode because Ash's name was in the credits. In every episode, even though he didn't show up till like what five, four or five episodes in, but he was Voke, obviously. But the, if you went to IMDb, I think they've since taken it down. I, I really need to go check. But they had another act. They made up a name for yeah, they for did. And now, if you go to the IMDb, he's he's credited now as Volk, but it says as insert fake name here. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so they have updated the IMDb to reflect that he was playing the character in those episodes, but as a different name. Yeah, I figured it out a few episodes before they revealed it. Oh, I did too. Yeah. It was actually something he said. There was a, a thing in his voice that really made... Uh, that's the same actor. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, but but it, when he first appeared, I had no clue. I didn't think about it. I didn't, you know... It, oh, okay, this is a new character we're introducing. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess if I had realized that the Klingon woman that was holding him captive was the woman from earlier, I probably would have connected the dots quicker. But the new Klingons, they... <laughs> They, they're not, I don't know, I, I, I couldn't tell that that was supposed to be the same woman from the, the stuff on Vogue's ship, so, uh, or, you know, through Kuvma's ship, I guess I should say, so that was, that, that kept me, for, I think, from piercing it together earlier, but anyway. What about some of the side characters? Just curious if anybody has any of the side characters they really like. They didn't uh, get enough attention. Oh, fair enough, I'm not talking about the bridge crew, which I do oh. agree, they did not get enough attention. You know, I'm thinking more like Giorgio, Sarek characters like that that weren't regulars but we're, we're in multiple episodes uh definitely georgia for me and and mostly just because of the the power of michelle yo's portrayal i mean i i'd, I'd watch her recite the phone book <laughs> yeah. especially um, as the empress oh yes <laughs> yeah, oh. i thought for sure that was going to be the admiral that we had had you know in, in most of the series it's like oh they keep talking about the, the emperor nobody knows what the emperor looks like so i figured out pretty quickly the emperor is going to be a woman because that's just going to be like a, a surprise reveal and then I was like, oh, it's probably going to be the Admiral character that Lorca, you know, was selling up the river. And nope, it was Giorgio, which was a surprise. And uh, it was really nice to see Michelle Yeoh back because I felt, oh, she's a movie actress. She's she just doing the first two episodes and then she's out. And so it was great that she was there in the back half. And it's she's seemingly going to be in at least for a little bit of season two. Mm-hmm. Ryan, did you have uh, any of the side characters you really liked? You know, I was really fascinated about, like, a few of the British crew, obviously. But, um, okay. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was fascinated that they seem to have a member of the Borg on the ship, and I'm like, wait, what is that? (laughs) And they also had a member of Daft Punk on the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, no, that was on the, uh, that was... On On the the Shenzhou. Yeah, the Shenzhou. But, I mean, if you... You mentioned Sarek as being, uh, not having the gravitas of Mark Leonard, and I agree with that. If if and I think I mentioned the James Bond comparison to you before. If Mark Leonard was Sean Connery, I still think James Fran is probably Daniel Craig. Okay, uh, as far as Sarah's. <laughs> that's pretty high praise because. <laughs> well, I mean, Ben Cross would be Pierce Brosnan or Roger Moore. 
I, I liked I kind of at first I was like eh about him, but by the end of the series, I not only liked him, but I also liked again, this is just me filling in blanks, but where his place is in the mythology of the Federation, because people were going Oh well, this is this continuity here is terrible. How could Spock go all that time without ever mentioning he had a sister? And well, never mind. He never mentioned he also had a brother in Cybok. Right. So that's not really that surprising. But if you think about it, if you think about Sarek, what he's doing here is he's had three children. He's had a full Vulcan, which got raised to embrace his passions. He's had a full human that got raised as Vulcan, and then he had a half human, half Vulcan raised on Vulcan. So he's just He's clearly trying, he's got this ultimate plan of bringing Vulcan and humanity together completely and just seeing how it works and what combinations. And I think he's half mad scientist and half, <laughs> yeah, just, you know, half like Nobel Prize winning prophet, you know? <laughs> yeah, all right. So you got into something that I wanted to talk about, which was what Sarek is actually doing and how they revealed, uh, you know, in the series. I think that's one of the points where they really use continuity to their advantage instead of just. Because it felt like for me for a lot of the series that they were just mining Star Trek just for a visual aesthetic, and they weren't really paying much attention to the continuity, but the Sarek stuff I thought was really well done. And the reason why is, when we first see Sarek in the original series, he is as close to upset as a Vulcan can be, and definitely disdainful of Spock for not being on a Vulcan science ship. And it always seemed like, why is Sarek, who obviously does not mind humans, he married one, why is he so down on Spock for being on the Enterprise and not being on a Vulcan science ship? And now we see it's actually his guilt, because Burn, that's what Burnham wanted. And he, and he took that away from her because he could only get one of his kids into the, yeah. the, the Vulcan science ship. And so I was like, that's actually a really fascinating take on you know, what we saw in the original Star Trek, and to actually give motivation to Sarek and explain his actions that, you know, he felt like if, if he took that away from Burnham, then Spock better, you know, do it, you know? I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. That is a really good, almost retcon to the whole situation. Oh, yeah. I want a Sarek movie like crazy. <laughs> 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 But yeah, I mean, and then the fact that, yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea that Sarek was trying to go against that, you know, anti-Federation Vulcan, you know, group that, that's always been, yeah, faction that's, that's been part of the series. It's been fleshed out more in the non-canonical books, but, you know, that, that's always been there in, in Next Gen in one of the movies we've seen it. So I kind of liked that they went into that and, and showed that, you know, that faction's been there longer than they've ever shown before. And that Sarek has been actively trying to show that, no, coming together with humanity is what, you know, will, will make the Vulcan race better. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, Vulcans, their, their, pro their birth rate is probably on the decline. I mean, you know, so yeah, he, maybe he sees humanity, uh, humans as the future, to, how to save Vulcan. I don't know. I'm putting a lot there, reading <laughs> up between the lines a lot, but it works out in my head. <laughs> well, I don't know. I assume that, you know, with, uh, you know, Ponfar once every seven years for every couple, they probably at least have a, a stable population. <laughs> <laughs> That's anyway. you and your mate line up. <laughs> but, <laughs> regarding Sarek, I I didn't think I had actually grown attached to that that portrayal of Sarek until the second to last episode, and then I realized 
mind melds, Vulcan mind melds have always been a very intimate, consensual kind of thing, except in this episode in Star Trek VI, when father and son both at the same, you know, same points in this forcibly mind meld with somebody and basically violate their consent. And I was like, don't do it, Sarek. Oh, Sarek, why? That's what I knew. I had actually grown attached to this character because he had made a turn. He'd done something I disagreed with, and I was actually angry about it. He disappointed you. He did. Yeah. Just like Spock did in Star Trek VI. Speaking of mind melds, though, I guess that does get me back to one of the other things that did slightly annoy me about the show is that that gives him instant communication with Burnham. Yeah, that was I, I would have preferred if that had just been like he left like a piece of himself in her mind so that she could have conversations with him. But that wasn't connected to the him now. That was like, you know, a, a voice a piece of his consciousness from back when he mind melded with her but the fact that she could use it to help find him in the one episode showed that that wasn't the case so that kind of like okay whatever but (laughs) (laughs) mind melts vulcan mythology vulcan mysticism always serves whatever purpose it needs to for the story i mean it's like how Burnham can do the neck pinch, but right. uh, Kirk never could learn. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's all very uh, wibbly wobbly timey. What? No, wait, yeah. it's the wrong franchise. <laughs> <laughs> right. McCoy carrying Spock's consciousness inside of him couldn't do yeah. the, the nerve pinch. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, St- uh, Stephanie, what about you? Do you have a, a favorite side character? Well, nobody has mentioned the most important side character of all. The giant space slug thing. <laughs> the tardigrade. The tardigrade, yeah. <laughs> I felt bad for that thing. I did too. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, that was one of those things where I just was kind of like, you know, this just doesn't seem right. That Starfleet would be okay with, well, it's in the name of the greater good, so let's just torture this thing, you know, and because it lets us move really fast. So I was glad that they found a way around it. And, and honestly... Yeah, there's the whole Khan Noonien thing thing that they're trying to make sure doesn't happen. But for someone to willingly take that on and and do that to themselves and to be like, I'll I'll take this for you know to help out you know the Federation. That was the best way I think that they could go about that. Oh yeah, definitely. It's because Stamets is a hero. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I only went on talking about Ash because you guys had already covered Stamets and uh, Tilly, so. I was like, okay, I'm going to go and talk about my third favorite then. <laughs> but, but, you know, that does fit the pattern of the entire show with the tardigrade. He's shown up, or it has shown up, as the monster in the dark, which is probably killing people, or or to be afraid of it. It's We don't like it. It's not good. And then, by the end, you're like, oh, I hope he does all right for himself. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, <laughs> and they did that with Burnham, they did it with Stamets. The only one that got flipped in the negative direction was Lorca. And even at that point, you were still kind of going, you know, who am I rooting for here? Who do I want to control the Empire? You know, the, the mad tyrant or the deranged usurper? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm betting money that the true Lorca, the, the, the positive Lorca survived in the mirror world and we'll see him again. They're going to Tom Cavanaugh him? Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to see a, a good Lorca who actually has been traumatized now. <laughs> because he had to survive in the mirror universe. Probably tortured and, and everything. And now that the Emperor is gone, he can come out of whatever hiding or whatever he may have been in. I think it'll be a mistake if they just let Jason Isaacs go. So I have a, I have a suspicion that we'll... Because they're like, I can't imagine... Whatever characters say I can't imagine somebody surviving something... I'm just going to go with they survived. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, 
Yeah, no body, no death. Right. right. <laughs> James, do you, uh, did you have any side characters that we haven't talked about that you liked? How about all the um, not color-coded red shirts that died in that series? <laughs> <laughs> they were amazing. I just wish they'd give the bridge crew some personalities, because it's like, even in the first few episodes of the original series, you you got a feel for Sulu. Right, well, and that's the thing, is, like, you have a few that are on the bridge crew that, like, you can feel it. You can feel, like, there's something under the shell of what they give them. <laughs> and then, like, and you know, it's like the actor's just like, okay, I'm this guy. This is my backstory. Here's my motivations. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give it my best. Right, and I'm gonna then, punch like, those buttons. Like, yes, Captain. <laughs> and you can see it in his eyes. <laughs> like, there's so much more, but... One of the, the, the uniquenesses that they were going for with Discovery is that this was going to be a Star Trek not about, about the bridge crew or the commanding officers and things like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's Burnham's story. We're seeing it from her point of view, even though Lorca's the captain. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is different. And it is a different way of approaching it, and I kind of like that. And I think that's why we got more about other departments than just the bridge crew and the doctor. <laughs> yeah. I was really sad that the doctor died, though. Yeah. Especially because I like Stamets so much. I'm like, no, you took his husband. They were so perfect. Especially because they, they did like really good little bickering, too. It wasn't like, I don't know. I thought they did a really good couple. And yeah. we don't often see married couples in Star Trek that actually seem like they're really a married couple. And you need a doctor. I mean, a good Star Trek show, the doctor is an integral part. You know, he's part yeah. of, the doctor is part of the, like, the, the holy trinity of Star Trek, with the possible exception of Crusher and Bashir. Okay, never mind. The doctor's still <laughs> important, though. <laughs> hey, Crusher is way better than Pulaski. Uh... <laughs> Pulaski doesn't like my data. <laughs> data. Data. Exactly. Pulaski had one season. That's not fair. <laughs> Pulaski didn't take any shit from Picard either. I would have liked to see Pulaski get tossed out the airlock. <laughs> oh. 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 All right. <laughs> We're not talking about next gen. Next gen episode. Okay. We're not talking about next gen. I think the only other side character of any note that we haven't talked about is uh, Admiral Cornwell, but I i mean, it was kind of nice. I mean, she was an admiral. I mean, it was a, a female admiral, so that was good. And she was a doctor also, so we don't normally see doctors at the that high of a level in well, a Star Trek. She was a psychologist. So, yeah. Well, that's a doctor! Space <laughs> therapist. Mental health, you know, I mean, that's... Anyway. Lorca definitely needed it. But, yeah, I didn't really get a whole, I mean, you know, she, she, I didn't feel like she was anywhere near as powerful as some of the other characters that we got. Well, I do have a question regarding her, if, if anyone caught it, because maybe it was just me not paying attention. But it seemed like they rescued her from the Klingons, and then they pretty much immediately went into the Mirror Universe. When did they drop her off? When did she leave the ship? I kept waiting for her to show up, wounded, you know, and recovering or something like that in the Mirrorverse. No, they said something about putting her on another ship or dropping her off somewhere. I can't remember when because it's been it too was, long since I've seen it now. But, but they before made a they note were, of it. Okay. Yeah, they did make a note of it before. And so I was just thinking, oh, geez, Lorca, you're just waiting until she wakes up because she's going to restrip you of command after all that garbage. You know, and, and but then they ended up in the Mirror Universe right away. So, you know, that kind of kept that from happening. 
Okay, so it's just something I missed and forgot. Okay. Yeah, but okay. So, so re- before we wrap out, because we are we are going a little bit long here, do you have a favorite episode? So, Stephanie, uh, let's start with you. Do you have a favorite episode? Oh, I don't know yet. I've only watched the series through once, and I don't know that I can really pick one out just yet. But I, I think I think the one that stands out the most. I keep going back to the mud time travel episode just because we mentioned it already. <laughs> I think I in my own memory here the uh the first one where we got killy being in command mostly just because <laughs> i really like killy and how 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 tilly was struggling so much to be this evil vindictive bitch and she's like i'm nice damn it but i can't be and i i think it's just more so that portrayal just was very endearing to me i think i need to watch the series again before i can actually pick out a favorite episode I believe that episode is called Despite Yourself. Am I right about that one? I don't have descriptions. I just have a list of episodes uh, in front of me. It would sound appropriate. Yeah, because um, because that's the first one of the second grouping. And I believe that that was the one where we got Killy. Because that's the, you know, and that was the one that I was going to mention. Because I would have been fine if that was the series. Was a Federation ship just trying to survive in the mirror universe. And it would also make sense with the whole jump drive, too. Right, well, yeah, because I thought, okay, so that takes all that, the jump drive, out of circulation, so it explain why they don't have it in later Star Treks. But also, I liked the idea, you know, it was a different way of getting to what the series eventually did, of really testing these characters, because in the Mirror Universe, humans are expected to be just sort of wild and given to their passions and just doing whatever they feel like. And so, how would a Starfleet ship you know, interact in that, you know, you know, how, how could they survive in that environment? And I thought that that was the way that they would get to, you know, testing the Federation ideals. Now Mm -hmm. it ended up not happening that way, but I thought that that would be an interesting choice, at least for that first season. And maybe, you know, they get out at some point after the first season or whatever. So, so yeah, I, I thought that that one had a lot of, uh, I don't know, potential to it of, of ways that they could go. And I really loved the new design aesthetic for the costume. So I was, I was all for it. I was like, Mirror Universe, let's go. <laughs> I definitely hope we see more of the Mirror Universe. Yeah. James, how about you? Did you have a favorite episode? Yeah. I thought Vaulting Ambition was probably one of the best episodes in the fact that it, because that was episode 12, and it gave us a look into... Because I, I think it speaks back to something Ryan said earlier, where it was really hard to like <laughs> that character for the longest time in the series. Because he is. He's just, he's super abrasive. He's really hard to relate to. Kind of that, like, I'm smarter than everybody, shut up kind of person. And I don't really like those people most of the time. But it did. It humanized him in this interesting way when he was in the network. And the fact that, you know, he gets that opportunity to see his his partner one last time. Oh, and, I was and, crying. Yeah, yeah. Like I legitimately was emotional myself and I was just like I was like, this is so well written. It really felt kind of natural and it it had a nice ambiance to it. I really enjoyed it. And it it made me like the character that much more. It's like, oh he does have a heart. He's not just a soulless asshole. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> that one also, I believe, is the one with the scene where Burnham has no idea what's going on when Giorgio tells her to pick the Kelpian. Ah. And then oh, yeah. finding out that that was to you know decide which one they were going to have for dinner. 
and the horror that she has when she figures figures out what's going on you know <laughs> was was really well done and again it just shows and it just showed again how that the empire is just this horrific i mean i think it mirrors what we were seeing with the klingons that ryan was talking about with them eating people is like you know in in the mirror universe the the human empire is what the klingons are in the primary universe that we're used to so i thought that that was an interesting way of going with that too I just always remember that scene because that was just so horrifying. And then the fact that she doesn't even <laughs> tell Saru, like, oh, no, there's no Kelpian. I know. I, I was really about. curious about that myself. I was like, oh, is that going to come up with Saru? Because that's not going to go over very well at all. <laughs> What's that on your breast? <laughs> <laughs> See, Burnham really does bring death. <laughs> she has a taste for Kelpian, and that's how it all starts. <laughs> oh. That's why you don't see any future series. Hello. <laughs> Burnham drives them into extinction. <laughs> what do they use for the matter in the replicator? Okay, no, I'm listening. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Soiling green. Anyway, all right. So, uh, Ryan, did you have a favorite episode? I reserve the right to change my mind uh, on a second and third rewatch, but right now it's probably a tie between life, you know, the one where she's where you do find out the history of her and Spock being raised by Sarek. Ah, that was um, going to be my flashback. other one. <laughs> okay. And uh, that or the, I guess it's the two-parter, the Pavo two-parter, where they, that one felt the most like a traditional Star Trek episode where they go to another planet and they make contact with the, the aliens there and have to discover how they communicate and operate. And you learn about Saru. And uh, it was really a, a very Saru-focused episode, even though Burnham and Ash kind of get closer as well. But that one just felt like, wow, this is the trick I remember. I like that one a lot, too. That was a good one. Well, yeah, and I mean, you, you know, you see the fact that, you know, Saru there, you know, and, and just how and how scared he, I mean, you know, we, we joked at the, when, the, when the preview came out for this series, Ryan, about the whole idea of sensing death and that now they're kind of yeah. going into magic in Star Trek, you know. But, you know, if you take the subtext of the fact that they were a prey species and they've evolved just highly, you know, they have highly sensitive, you know, uh, uh, senses that are attuned to just finding danger, right? You know, they don't actually sense death in a, in a magical way, but it's just there. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's not the Cyclops and he can predict that on Tuesday of next week, he's going to die. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so you take that and you, you think about the psychology of a species like this, and they, they must be like borderline paranoid, right? You know, like all the time, even like the most sane of them, because they're just you know constantly in a state of terror, looking for the next danger. So, the idea of him being able to go somewhere where he was perfectly at peace and being you know just he just didn't want to ruin that at all. And just seeing Burnham as the person that always takes things from him and everything, it was a really, it's a really good episode for his development. And you know, I really liked. I, I felt like I liked Saru a lot more after this episode because I, yes. I don't think I liked him that much in the earlier ones. And from here on, I, I, I liked him. I don't think there was much personality to him before that one. Yeah, he just didn't like Burnham. You know, his little tendrils would come out whenever Burnham came, and it was just kind of like, oh, you, you know. <laughs> and it, it was a crossroads for their relationship. Absolutely. And Michael, what about you? Did you have a favorite episode? Uh, yeah, I kind of side with the uh, the first half se- or first half finale into the forest. I go because that's when I thought that this crew really started to kind of kind of gel as a Starfleet crew. I mean, you, you're sending Tyler and Burnham over to the Klingon ship to try to to set those sensors so they can get the algorithm to detect the cloak. You get Tyler kind of doing his unraveling as as PTSD sets in from what we find out later is his Voke conversion 
Stamets volunteers to jump into the chamber for those 133 micro jumps, which the tension on that for me was just amazing. As you're watching the numbers click up, you're like, what's going to go wrong? What's going to go wrong? And then they make it. You're like, okay, well, nothing went wrong. (laughs) So something's still got to go wrong. (laughs) You know, and and they they really do the the whole Starfleet science thing. They do the whole, you know, we got a problem. Let's solve it as Starfleet. And then. You know, of course, at the end, you, you get that look from from Lorca as he, you know, punches in a little little secret code, and boof, there they are into this unknown territory, which you know I assume was the mirror universe, but we wouldn't find out for another month and a half. <laughs> yeah, I thought either that or they had jumped like some point into the future, and they were seeing what would happen if the Klingons weren't stopped. That right. was my initial thought too. Was it was a time jump? Which I mean, in the end, it kind of was, but not really. Yeah. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to reverse myself on something that I said online as far as something that I thought was an issue with this series continuity-wise, which was them finding the way through the cloak well before the Balance of Terror episode in Star Trek, uh, the original Star Trek. I rewatched Balance of Terror recently. It's not the cloak that throws everyone for a loop in that episode like I remembered. It's the weapon that the Romulans had that destroyed everything so quickly. They mentioned they have an invisibility screen, but they don't seem to think that that's like some crazy new thing that they've never encountered before. They just say, and they have this super weapon that, you know, is more destructive than anything we've got. So I, 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 the the series actually did okay there. The thought that the Romulans in Balance of Terror was the first time anyone had seen a cloak isn't really, I mean, it could have gone that way, but the, they never really say that in the episode. So it's okay. Uh, That, that happened a lot with fans, uh, where we remember continuity differently than it actually was. It's like the, there was the whole debate about whether or not Spock was the first Vulcan in Starfleet, because there was a Vulcan admiral in this series. Tyr- Tyrell? Tyrell? No, that's, that's, from, that's from Star Trek Two. No, I can't remember his name. But yeah, so I, same, same thing with the cloaking device. I think a lot of fans just have their history set in their head and that if they go back and if they challenge themselves, they're going to find out that they were wrong and, and that's not a problem and you can appreciate it all the more because of that. Yeah. Well, and it certainly could have been the first time a cloaking device was encountered. I mean, nothing in the dialogue says that, you know, it was or it wasn't. So there's enough ambiguity there for them to have well, these earlier in enterprise. Cloaks. They, uh, also encountered, um, Archer and crew encountered, you know. I haven't done my Enterprise watch yet since that's the one Star Trek that I haven't watched all of yet because I I did stop after the first season. (laughs) You you may need to borrow some of uh, the the whiskey from James for that. Okay. (laughs) You know, let's put it this way. In Discovery, we find out that, oh, Section 31 is going to take over Giorgio, and maybe that explains why no one else knows about the Mirror Universe. In Enterprise, they've come across the Ferengi, and Archer just never bothers to ask what the name of their species is. So, you know. <laughs> I did know about the Ferengi one because I'd heard about that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the difference in writing there. Right. <laughs> right. All right. So, so um, since you guys took my two favorite ones. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, um, uh, what is it? Is it Choose Your... Yeah, Choose Your Pain. I guess is the one that I'll choose then, because while I, I agree that Mud doesn't really seem that much like Mud, the whole thing of Ash's introduction and just Lorca's cleverness and getting out of the the uh, you know the Klingon gulag basically, you know, was uh, you know I, I I appreciated that. I liked it. It was another one of those ones that showed that Lorca's a pretty clever guy, and I, I really liked that. 
I didn't like it as much as either Lathe or, uh, <laughs> or uh, Despite Yourself, but oh well. My final thing that I'm probably that I'm going to mention is uh, in the last episode. While I liked the fact that the characters were tested on in this series, I felt like the choice that they gave at the end was a little too easy because it was like, here you can do something that's like a mega happy ending, or you can do this thing that needlessly hurts people. Now that we have the mega happy ending, and it was kind of like, well, of course they're going to take the mega happy ending. Right, where nobody has to die, you know, help the Federation and we don't have to hurt any Klingons. But I felt like there should have been more of a, of a downside to taking that, you know, to taking the second path to really show the, the loyalty to the Federation ideals that, you know, even though it's going to be a hard road, you know, we're going to go that way because that's the way that's, you know, that's morally correct. And I was just wondering what you guys thought about that. Yeah, you know, I'm fine to a degree with the way they did things, except for the fact that, was it Laurel? Is that, yeah, she, she like openly states like, hey, let's all unite because I've got a bomb under the planet's surface and I'm going to blow it up if you don't play nice. And to me, I'm just like, well, that works the first, I don't know, couple months until they figure out where it's located and <laughs> then you're back to square one. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it's a decent Star Trek solution, but it's it's just delaying the inevitable for me. No, that's a good point. Brian, did you have any thoughts about that? It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, Brian is speechless for the first time ever. Let's mark down I'm on our calendars. Speechless? It's just, uh, you're asking, I, I, it was okay. I liked the, the philosophical aspects of it. I liked the fact that we've kind of jumped to this, um, back into the, to the, more intellectual aspects of good and evil right and wrong within star trek but i mean i can't argue with you that yeah it was like your choices commit genocide to end the war or you know not and end the war (laughs) (laughs) no no one's gonna do that i did like seeing this kind of close-up of uh chronos every time all the other times we see chronos it's like you you see this painting of the city and it's the high you're, council you're, chambers. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and that's it. So it was nice seeing, I guess, you know, just kind of downtown uh, or something like that. Well, that was like the Orion um, yeah, the embassy. Or, yeah, <laughs> Orion. Yeah, <exactly. laughs> Orion town. <laughs> right, Orion town. So that was kind of interesting that they, but it made sense that of any race that the Klingons are going to have there, it would be the Orions. So, you know, I, I got it. I mean, I don't know. I I, th- I wasn't as impressed with the latter half of the season as I was the first. I, it was okay, but it, you know, the mirror universe was kind of blah to me. It was visually stunning, but the story was meh. And the same thing. I was happy to see Burnham and crew, and and especially Saru, step up. But uh, up until that final scene where you know they get the distress call, I was like, okay, that was that was that was acceptable, and that's how I felt with it until we got that cliffhanger. Well, interesting, because to me, the second half was the series. Like, the first half was just prologue, so so that is cool. James, uh, what about you? What did you think of that ending, or that way of ending the war? I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was, like, it didn't, the thing is, is, like, if they decided, I think the ending was a play-it-safe kind of ending, because I'm not sure if when they wrote the ending, they, had, they knew they were going to get a season two. And so, I mean, it kind of ends in a way that, there's not really a lot of loose ends in terms of the main dialogue that we we kind of took over from the story. Like they they kind of came to that resolution of like, well, the war's over, and we're never going to an alternate universe again if we can help it. <laughs> so like they kind of tied it up with a nice little bow in case. 
So it, I mean, it wasn't anything exciting. It didn't have me like, oh man, season two, I need it. But at the same time, with what we saw out of this season, I am excited for a season two where I'm just like, I want to see where they're going to go. Like, are they going to get, are they going to go back to like core kind of Star Trek theology in terms of like how they're writing their episodes? And like, is it going to become more about that discovery and the politics and things like that? Or are we going to, are we still going to have kind of a grittier side where we're watching the crew still kind of recover from everything they went through with Lorca and that their ideals have been a little misshapen because of that? And, and how are we going to witness that going forward? So I, I don't know. My wife is upset that Saru didn't become captain. I, I'm upset about that. Like, I thought, I thought Saru would have made a great captain. Yeah, I thought what was going to happen was Saru would become captain and Burnham was going to become his first officer. And, and that was how the show was going to proceed. But no, they said they were going to pick up a new captain. Who hopefully won't just be the regular Lorca returned, because that'd just be a little too much. You know? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a slap in the face, poor Saru. Yeah. But, uh, Stephanie, what about you? What did you think of the way of ending the war? I don't know. I'm kind of right there with James. Or it was really a safe ending for whether or not they did end up getting a uh, second season or not, because as oh shoot i forgot which one of it you it was that was just talking about how that's kind of a temporary solution they could yeah. very easily bring back the fact that the, the klingons did find that bomb and now is going south in chronos again but at the same time they could also just leave it alone so it was it was a way to wrap up the story without necessarily knowing if it was going to ever be revisited. Well, I like the idea of Laurel being the one that like unifies the Klingons and creates the sort of combined Klingon empire that we see, you know, in the in the in the next gen timeline that that's she's the one that kind of pulls it all together. But yeah, I it could really go all south and she might just be a footnote in history, so who knows. Yeah. It, it could just be the beginning of an ongoing process. Like you said, 10 years later in the original series, it still feels, you know, fragmented or, or clannish or futile. And so just because she's got Kronos doesn't mean that, that's the start. But it, Klingons are very slow to adapt to change. So, yeah, it, it could take a while. No. All right. So I just realized that I had one more question here that uh, but hopefully this one will be quick. So we have that ending where we have the uh, Enterprise and we mention Pike. Do we want to see them involve the original Enterprise crew with recasting all the uh, the bridge crew there from that original pilot? Or do we want that to just be like a little wink and a nod and when season two starts where we, we are not dealing with that? So, Stephanie, let's start with you on that. <sighs> I'm not entirely decided on that. I would love to see number one return, but that's about it. Because, <laughs> I mean, we're looking at a third casting for Spock then. Right. And do we really need a third actor playing Spock? Because I doubt that, oh gosh, I can't even remember his name. It's getting late. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I doubt that he'll come in, even if it's just for a one episode thing, because he seems kind of met on the character a lot of times when I hear him in interviews. So I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sold on the recasting of everybody, but it would be interesting to see Number One's character again. But at the same time, I'd be really sad because that would remind me that uh, she's dead, and that's sad. Like Marjorie Barrett, is that her name? Majel. Majel. Okay. Hey, I was pretty damn close there. <laughs> 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 I 
I mean, that was one thing that really stood out to me, actually, with Discovery. Every time the computer talked, I'm like, oh. Yeah. We're so used to Majel putting on her various voices. And it didn't sound, I mean, like, it actually had, like, inflection to the voice. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) you're, You're not considering one possibility. Now, I'm, I can't quite remember chronologically when the cage happened or whatever, but is it at all possible that number one is getting her own command that she will be transferring over as captain of Discovery? That would place, that time doesn't work because the, uh, the cage was, I can't remember if it's three years after Discovery or seven years after Discovery, but either way you combine the numbers between the cage and TOS and it equals 10 years from Discovery. Yeah, I get that. I just wasn't sure if the cage itself. Okay. All right. Too bad. Yeah. I want to say that the cage... See, I thought the cage was almost concurrent with Discovery because I want to say it was 13 years before the episode, uh, the the Menagerie. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I want to say that they said 13, in which case that would be three because they're about three years into their five-year mission at that point, and then another 10 before that, you know, would be Maybe. I, I remember three and 10 definitely being involved in this. I just... Okay. <laughs> I'm half asleep. I'm trying hard not to be second. Okay. Well, this is the last question, I promise. It's all relative. It's space travel. It could be 10 for one ship and then, you know, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I'll bring in real physics into this. That's why they use Stardate. (laughs) So, Ryan, what about you, though? Do you you want to see a recast Pike Enterprise, or would you rather just that this is just a wink and a nod? It's it's an interesting question. I kind of, it's like, yeah, we, do we want Spock cast a third time? Well, we've had Amanda cast three times. We've had Sarah cast three times. So if it's the right casting, yeah, sure. But uh, maybe just Pike and or number number one, you know, I, I would be fine if they were, they just beamed over. Yeah, to I could deal with it if it's maybe just the two of them a lot better than like trying to get the whole yeah ship recast or this is just oddly a time where where spock doesn't happen to be on the enterprise because he's busy somewhere else or well if if you're right that it happens at that the cage happened after this then it could well be before spock was stationed on the enterprise so you could you could play that game too that might could work out there too if it's before spock actually got on the ship and maybe even Somehow, this is why he gets on the ship because of Michael and encountering Pike, or who knows. But at the same time, I'd almost want to see Michael with Spock just because we have that strong relationship between her and Sarek. So I'd like to know because we know from Next Gen that Spock always felt like Sarek didn't care about him. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder how Spock would feels about Burnham. You know, like, does he feel like Sarek showered her with, you know, more attention than what he got? You know, so it'd be kind of almost interesting to see that interaction. But I don't know if I want Spock recast again, so that's the issue. Yeah. It it feels too gimmicky. And it's the same problem I kind of had with the Mirror Universe. It feels like they're going to the well of all the stuff they know the fans are going to want too soon. Why not see the Enterprise in Season 3? Why not do the Mirrorverse in Season 4? I I don't know. To be honest, my first impression when they said it's the Enterprise and mentioned Pike, I was just like, I I actually groaned. I was like, oh, really? Because same thing. It's just really you're already going to that. Yeah, I, I see. I wouldn't have picked the Enterprise at all for this early in the in the series, but since it is there, that's why I raised the question. Uh, Michael, yeah. what what are your thoughts on it? 
Well, I just want to say I was excited to see the Enterprise. That was a oh, gorgeous yeah. representation and a gorgeous update of that oh, model. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. Well, don't uh, that element, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I looked it up while we were, while you all were talking here, and um, the cage took place 11 years before Captain Kirk's five-year mission. Oh, okay. So the cage has already occurred in this timeline. Okay. Yeah. So Spock would be there. So Spock should be there, and I, I really like this idea now of number one coming over and becoming the new uh, the new captain. I'm just thinking yeah. about that. <laughs> that, would be, that would definitely be cool. It would be nice to give her a name. <laughs> right? Ms. <laughs> um, one to you. <laughs> <laughs> I had it changed to number one legally. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm really confused as to what numbers are stuck in my head. It's probably some different TV show that I'm getting confused <laughs> with. Uh, as far as the recasting goes, I I feel like it would be okay. I mean, I I felt really apprehensive when the when the 2009 movie started with the the Kelvin verse, and then those turned out okay as far as the the casting went for me. So I, I feel like the casting could be okay. What I what I don't want to see is, you know, an extended period of time with the Discovery and the Enterprise going around having hijinks around the galaxy. I, I would like this to be uh, a one shot with the Enterprise, you know, maybe have a, a mission they do together. And then it's like, OK, they separate, they go their separate ways and and all's good. Discovery does Discovery's thing. I definitely do not want to see the the typical we've we've been on break for a little while. We come back to the, the first minute of, of season two and they're all laughing about, oh, oh, that adventure was so fun. OK, see you later. That would be terrible. <laughs> But I, I wouldn't mind, you know, maybe getting uh, an episode in and then just saying, okay, we did that. We're moving on. You know, it's it's the nod to the, the original series fans. It says we're we're here. We did this. We're going on. Right. I mean, I, I, it worries me because I feel like they're going to have, like, Lieutenant Kirk has his stint on the Discovery or something like that. You know, just that. Oh, yeah. You know, not. <laughs> just to sort of, you know, make sure that we reference as much as we can in this time period, you know, kind of thing. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel like it would be tacky to just be like, well, that was a fun adventure with the Enterprise, you know, kind of thing. But at the same time, without recasting, I don't know how they, go, other than that they just skip it entirely and don't even acknowledge that ending to the first season, which would feel, you know, wrong also. Like I said before, I, I felt like that the show didn't need to stand on the legs of previous characters. I would have liked for them just to establish themselves in this time period. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, Sarek, Harry Mudd, do we really need these characters? And at the end, I really liked what they did with Sarek. So so I'm fine with yeah. that. I feel like Mudd didn't need to be there. Could have been a different character entirely and would have been perfectly fine. But yeah, as long as it's not there just for the reaction. That, oh, we got Pike's enemy. It could have been any other ship. If there's a reason, like, for Burnham to have interaction with Spock, and for there to be something character-wise that, you know, they really want to get out of that, that would be good, you know, or something along those lines. Or number one becomes the new captain, or something along those lines. But I don't want it to be just a, well, we threw the Enterprise in because that'll make some fans squee, you know? <laughs> and it did. Was, well, yeah, no, I know. I mean, you see the ship, it's like, oh, wow, the Enterprise. And then you think about it, and then it's like, oh, but this could go wrong. <laughs> I mean, it was a pure Pavlovian response. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you start to salivate when you see it, yeah. <laughs> so, James, I'd ask you, but you probably don't even know what we're talking about with Pike's Enterprise, do you? <laughs> the only bits of Pike I know is I know that from the original Star Trek series. Like, I remember when he came in from one episode I saw for, like, some court hearing. I vaguely remember yes. it. Yes, okay. So, yes, you have seen the Menagerie. Okay, yeah, that's, that's yeah, called yeah, the Menagerie. Yeah. Yeah, okay. the 2009 movie? 
Yes, yes. P- yeah, he Pike was the captain in that too. Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing is if that guy came back and played Pike, I'd be okay with it. But I do I do kind of hope it was just I don't know. I do kind of hope it was like tongue in cheek and like a nice little nod. And maybe in season two, like it'll be a brief interaction where it's like a voice or something where they're they, they like talk to Pike or something. I could be okay with something very small, but I I really want them to hone in on just the discovery and again continuing that exploration of you know the crew and like where burnham's gonna go from here all of that kind of stuff like i really hope they just stay in tune with that all right so uh, i think we're all looking forward to a season two that's fair to say from our comments right yep yes. yeah yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see when that comes. I don't. They haven't announced a date, but uh, I've heard some people saying that it's not going to be until early 2019. So uh, 2018, uh, you know, we're not going to get anything more. That's okay. I have to wait like another year and a half for Game of Thrones anyway. <laughs> the Marvel series, I've had to become very patient because even though we get one every, you know, few months or whatever, it's to get any particular one again, it's like wait two years. Yeah. All right, so yeah, let's uh, say goodbye and let people know where they can find us. So, uh, Stephanie, since you are staying, uh, trying oh. to stay awake, uh, oh, what, Ryan? Oh, I just wanted to say real quick that this one had the most beautiful credits of any of the Star Trek series, in my opinion. They were gorgeous. Uh, well, I guess they were gorgeous. I tried to figure out what it really meant, but other than the, you know, flying through the two batleths, I didn't really. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why am I flying next to an eyeball? You know, what's, the, you know, what, what does this mean? You're exploring the universe. <laughs> Are they going to encounter lots of giant space monsters then that, you know, uh, <laughs> that the ship flies past a giant eyeball? Well, they, they, they didn't encounter giant batliths. So, yeah. <laughs> right, but that was symbolism. That I got. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of credits, though, I did absolutely love the fact that it ended with, am I remembering correctly, that the last episode of season one ended with the Star Trek, the original Star Trek theme, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I loved that. Yeah. That made me, that made me fangirl (laughs) big time, more than hearing Pike's name mentioned. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Stephanie, since you are trying your hardest to stay awake, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you online? You can find me online. I don't know, pretty much anywhere you search Alcrea, it'll probably be me. (laughs) (laughs) And how is that spelled? A-L-K-R-E-A. Sometimes it's Lady Alcrea, because on the off chance somebody else managed to get it, which I don't know how. It's a name I made up by just jumbling letters until it was something I kind of liked. Hey, a million monkeys on a million typewriters, Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) When I came up with that name for playing Dungeons and Dragons, and it just kind of (laughs) stuck. But you heard her here before she was published. Remember that. Right, that's true. Just remember me when I'm one of the little people, Stephanie. Remember that you uh, had your forum here. But first I gotta come up with a name for my book. (laughs) Well, you can announce it here the next time you're on when you you do have the uh, the title. I'll work on it. Okay. Thanks for having me again. It was great having you on, Stephanie. So so thank you for, for being on this episode. Sorry, I'm getting a little, like, Incoherent. No, I understand. This went longer than I intended, but <laughs> it's fine. James, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Yeah, so people can find me, of course, through my website, which doesn't have a lot of activity right now, but <laughs> RomanOnTheRocks.com. 
Otherwise, uh, I have started doing uh, video updates through my Facebook page that's Roman on the Rocks. I kind of like that form. It's really easy to like throw out a few blurbs and stuff. So check me out there and on Twitter at Roman on the Rocks. It's so easy. All right. And thank you for being on the show, James. You betcha. And Ryan, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you online? Well, uh, I'm going to not say goodbye. I'm going to say live long and prosper, Internet, and viewers and listeners. You can find me at all these nice people's Facebook pages and social media where I'm probably telling them they're wrong about something. And you can find me, or you can find my website, geekstranger.com. Yeah, feel free to check it out. Someone's got to. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) you can see links to this very podcast that you're listening to now and other podcasts that I've done. And really, that's about it at the moment. I do plan to get around to uh, doing more with it eventually, time and life permitting. Otherwise, just Facebook, you know, Ryan Guthrie, um, Geek Stranger on Twitter will get you there. And just be warned, I talk politics as much as geek stuff. So I'm glad that you're not uh, promising anymore on episodes <laughs> that you're going to have the, your website updated by the time the episode goes live. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, what the heck? Now I've got to. I will have my face, my website updated before season two of <laughs> Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> because that's the my, you know, I'm, I'm editing these podcasts and I'm like, that's a lie. You know? <laughs> But anyway, so uh, thanks for being on, Ryan. It was good having you. Always a blast. Thanks. And Michael, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Oh, goodbye, Internet. You can find me in quite a few different places. If you look anywhere under the handle WompRat99, W-O-M-P-R-A-T-99, Twitter, Facebook, wherever else, you'll probably find me there. You can hear my voice on the Chronic Rift Network at chronicrift.com. I host a weekly show called The Weekly Podioplex, which talks about movie news and, and such things like that. If you want to read some of my writing, you can go to my blog at Creative Criticality. That's at creativecriticality.wordpress.com. And like I mentioned earlier, that is uh, that showcases my project called The Timestamps Project, where I'm watching every episode of Doctor Who for the first time from the very beginning of the franchise. And I'm up to the end of se- or the uh, Six Doctors run. And within a couple of weeks, I'll be moving on to the Seventh Doctor. You can also find me live if you want. Uh, sometime around May 4th, 5th, and 6th, if you're in the Atlanta area, I'll be guesting at Hulanta here in Atlanta. I'll be at the Atlanta Hilton down by the airport. So if you happen to be around, want to go see some uh, some Doctor Who panels in progress or what I'm doing with the Other Worlds track, which is pretty much everything else, uh, I will be there. All right. Yeah, check uh, Michael out. And Michael, thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And that's a wrap on our Discovery Season 1 episode. We hope that you enjoyed it and you can let us know in a variety of ways. You can go to our website at 42cast.com and let us know there. You can also uh, tweet to us at at 42cast, or you can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can also email us at everything at 42cast.com. Also, you can leave us feedback on either Stitcher Radio or iTunes. And yes, I have heard that iTunes is going away. I'm not sure um, how you're going to leave feedback after that. I'm sure there will be some sort of podcast, uh, Apple podcast uh, website or app or whatever that you can go to. But I'll let you know as soon as I hear. I also want to remind everybody about the ESO Patreon. It's a way of supporting the network and supporting all the shows on the network. Uh, You will also get exclusive content there for all the different ESO shows, including the 42 cast. So definitely check that out. You can do that by going to the ESO Network on Patreon. Be sure to join us back next week when Olivia Holt will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing out.
You have been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2019. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42Cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.